OTB GAA. And all of a sudden, you know, Kerry are totally up. They never, ever got a chance to build again after they got a score. And that was down to Cluxon and the movement outside. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. All right, you're very welcome along to Half Past Seven. It is Wednesday morning. Had to look that up there. It's the 2nd of August. You're very welcome along to OTBAM. Shane's here. Shane, good morning to you. Morning, other things. Cameron's here. Cameron, good morning to you. Ah, good morning. We're all about the culture wars on the show this morning, because, you know, we like to do this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good people of... Um, the good people of Ashburn. All right, they're, they're good people. I, I, this is no moral judgment on a lot of them who are Dublin fans living in me. I mean, are they supposed to stop? Are they supposed to celebrate in the club? Mm. Is the club bar supposed to put up a video of them celebrating? I don't know. If you're a Meath fan, or, you know, a Kildare fan, or a Wicklow fan, or a West Meath fan, and you're, like, you know, swamped, do we send them back? What, what, what did the Tories say about this stuff? <laughs> Burn the boats? Yeah. Isn't that what it is? Yeah. Burn the boats, yeah. No, no dubs here? Yeah. Out you get. Send them to... Is Meath the Rwanda of this situation? Mm. Yeah, okay. And... Uh, well, maybe Ashburn is, and the rest maybe. of me is. Okay, yeah, is get the you. Broad sunlit uplands of the the upper Tory wall. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but um, it, it was it was interesting stuff, you know. There's, um, we I think we have the, the clip. So okay, okay. There is well, I was going to say there's there's another culture war going on about the footballer of the year and the performance of yes, of course, sorry. Yeah. David Clifford. He was smoked, according to uh, Paul Flynn, who wrote back a little bit from that, but then didn't really roll back. To the point of like taking down the smoke thing. So the smoke thing still exists. I'm going to get the exact wording just so we're not doing Paul of the service. So but Footballer of the Year, it turns out, has been like this uh, Rorschach test for a lot of people. It's like, oh, it has to be Clifford. Who, who are you? If you don't think Clifford was... And then um, top scorer in the whole championship was Shane McGuigan. He was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shane McGuigan, who had to come through an Ulster championship. He had a lot of gimmies, didn't he? He played a lot of Division 3 and Division... Oh, 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 no, wait, he did not play Division 3 and Division 4 teams. No, no. Um, and I then need to look back at there. He's full of fixture list here before something. Like, oh, actually, I'll find it. Well, they played certainly Monaghan in Ulster semi-final, Armagh in Ulster final, uh, Fermanagh before that in the quarter final. Then they had a group with Monaghan, uh, Donegal, and Clare, and then they beat Cork in the quarterfinals before losing to Kerry in the semis. That's not a gimme at all. Like you wouldn't say there's a handy game in there. Um, but yeah, Paul Flynn's comments on, on David Clifford. So he tweets. Uh, August 1st so the other night 12.37am Clifford was smoked against Dublin and poor against Tyrone yet still people think he is footballer of the year not for me James Mack led Dublin's glory without having his best day yesterday he's a born winner and leader and then uh, he of course replies and retweets his own tweet 17 hours ago there's a bit of controversy regarding my last tweet do I think Mitch Fitz got the better of Clifford yes do I think Clifford was player of the year no do I think he's one of the best in our generation yes and top ambassador for the game no more midnight tweets and then the same zip emoji that Kitty McCabe made use of. So, I mean... Define smoking. What's smoking? In that sense. Because uh, I do remember an occasion where David Clifford left Mick Fitz on his arse at one point. He did he? not smoke David Clifford. No. There, there's no way he smoked him. Because Clifford still got two points from play. That The unbelievable pass for the for well, the Guinea goal. Like. And Fitz Simons gave away a free when he took the jersey. Yeah. A third score and then there's the 1-1. I, like, Clifford played... 
uh, well below what his expectations are and what our expectations of him are. Mm-hmm. And how much credit do you give to Fitzsimons for that? I would give a fair bit of credit to Fitzsimons for that. Mm. But it was more, uh, uh, they both, uh, certainly Fitzsimons emerges with credit. Oh, now, for sure. Yeah. That, yeah. Interesting that, uh, <laughs> again, so the, to the point about the culture war, uh, Dara O'Shea in his piece today, he picked Fitzsimons in his team of the year. He, mm-hmm. He's picked him a fullback. And um, what the Lord giveth with one hand, he taketh away with the other. <laughs> Did well throughout the season, even though he got a fair bit of help with David Clifford on Sunday. It's like, wow! I'm putting you in my team of the year, but I sure shit, I'm not giving you all the credit for that. Because mm. I saw that tweet too. Yeah. And we're going to defend our boy. Yeah. Understandably. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Well, if, if Clifford earned many shooting opportunities for himself on Simons, he just didn't take them. Well, or were they bad? Should he not have taken them? He should have taken them, yeah. There's a few of them that he definitely should have put over for, based on his standards. Or should he not have been shooting from there? Was was it because Fitzsimons was in his head? And look, Fitzsimons, in fairness, got a free turned over that would have been a handy free mm. that the dub score a point from and like sliding doors moments. Yeah, know? yeah. Uh, and, and a couple of the shots at the end that were wayward from Clifford were probably him panicking and going, I have to do something crazy here. Well, I mean, it, it, there was, it, the other thing is, right, there was a bit where he was, um, he was on the 21 or maybe slightly outside it and this was kind of right in front of us. And he starts to dribble around, slaloming through people mm. and take the shot. And if that shot had gone in, you're looking at, oh, look what he did. Yeah, one of the great scores. Yeah, yeah. It felt very Katie McCabe against Canada, actually. So not smoked, I don't think. No, no. no. I don't think by any well, by I, any proper measure. If he'd been held scoreless from I, play. Yeah. I expected Paul Flynn in his... Uh, no no creativity, <laughs> you know. His backup tweet, I expected him to... to uh, reference the smoked term I, f- I expect them to maybe roll back on that a little bit because uh, I don't think any I don't think anyone thinks he was smoked but Simon's had a good game on it but isn't it interesting that like maybe this is what the dubs actually think in their private moments like Fitzsimons so the, the bit about the bit about the goat mm. <laughs> that got on the goat of a lot of people who were yeah. not from Kerry mm. that, like one of the first things that somebody who was wearing a Dublin jersey said to me after was like well Wow, where's Clifford's where's gold status now? now? Yeah. I, I, like, Do you know I, what I mean? I, oh, he's 24, it's too early. And I, like, I, 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 guilty as charged, Your Honour. Hmm. We did we did anoint him the greatest footballer of all time. Well, I don't know. I don't know. But he's cer- certainly this generation. He's, uh, he's yeah, but that's not what the that's not what G O A T stands for. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, I have the utmost respect for this Dublin team and the lads who have the nine All Irelands and the eight All Irelands, but the, I think there is a there is a notion in Dublin that there can't be uh, there can't be a goat that's not from Dublin. They, David Clifford, I think there's a little little modicum of jealousy in Dublin surrounding David, surrounding David Clifford and the aura around him because we have him on a pedestal. There there feels to be that that little bit because I think they think right, we we are the greatest team of this generation and Dublin are the best team of this generation. Yeah, but they yeah, don't have the best team. player. They do yeah. not have the best single player of this generation. I don't think that. I don't think that can be argued. I think. Like there is a case for James McCarthy being the, one of the greatest footballers oh, of all time, sure. and, and he's you, Dublin's greatest. Mm. And you can make that case. He didn't have his best game on Sunday, and I think that will like a, a All Ireland finals count double. So I think that that may well make him less likely to be footballer of the year. But I don't know. I don't know if you can give it to Clifford after that performance either on Sunday. Uh, I think you can. I Again, know. it's not the player of the fortnight. It's like. But is it not that it's it's so pivotal to their success whether he plays well or not? 
But, yeah. That as long as he above breaks even. He's a victim of his he own success. Win, right? He set his own bar so high that we expect unbelievable things from him. Like if any other player scores four points two from play and kicks that unbelievable pass for Guinea's goal, you're like, well, that's a seven out of ten performance. For Clifford, it's a five out of ten performance. Like, yeah, that, that. But that is that is. They're the rules of engagement when you're talking about the greatest of all time. Mm. Do you know? Yeah. yeah, I suppose when you know what they can so do. So is Fenton player of the year? Like, really? He could be. Because Fenton was amazing in the semis when the going got tough. And then as the game is in the melting pot, he's like, yeah, like this is not my first Sunday stroll. Boom. Thanks very much. Mm. Oh, was that, was that like an all-time great point? Yeah, it was. Is Fenton, is Fenton their greatest ever footballer? I don't know. See, the thing about Clifford is it's def- very difficult for him to like dominate a game when you're up front and the team is not performing well. Mm. Whereas from midfield, you can influence, like, uh, as a deep-lying midfielder, James McCarthy can influence games and therefore seasons in a way that's harder for players in the full forward line to do. Because he is totally reliant on the quality of the ball going into him. And the quality of the ball going into him, by the way, was nowhere near as good as it has been. And that's to Dublin's credit. And I think that's the help that... Uh, Darrell Shea is talking about that Mick Fitzsimons got there was a few balls that were out in front of Clifford where he was able to get out get a step and the first point he scored was mm. like delicious the, the favourites they it, stopped putting those balls in they did uh, the, the bookies have at the moment so the top six for footballer of the year Shane McGuigan 33-1 to one. you've Colin Baskell 14-1 uh, to one. Stephen Cluxton 12-1 to one, along with Brian Fenton at 12-1 to one. David Clifford 6-4 to four. James McCarthy 8-15 to 15. so uh, this is a player's vote, right? There has to be a shortlist announced yeah. sooner rather than later, at which point a load of those come off the board. Yeah. And then the, the betting will calcify around. Mm. And maybe there'll be a backlash against the dubs from the rest of the country because of stuff like, oh, he was smoked. Is, you know? Clu- is Cluxton not the footballer of the year? Cluxton could well be the footballer of the year. Like, there yeah. might be a very good case for, for Cluxton. Like, won the All-Ireland again, came back, didn't concede a goal until the final, wasn't it? And then kicks the 45, plays well. Like, And the goal that he conceded is one of the all-time great All-Ireland final. Like, the skill yeah. that Gainey has to not foul the ball yeah. in the moment, under pressure from the dubs, I think it was sensational. Yeah, And, I, and also, like, I've, I had a chance over the last 24 hours to go back and look at the pass. An, an 8 out of 10 performance. And I think that some of the shooting is because he's in his head mm. as well. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever presence or I don't know if there's conversations whatever happens like some of the the, the radar is off you have to give some of the credit to that for Fitzsimons and that's the win of the game mm. three more points which you would have expected wins the game like yeah. in, in, um, so I don't know the the pinging of the ball the way he pinged the ball under pressure and yeah. the, the like we were like ah it was a 45 that's like no big deal but like it did suck the life out of the stadium oh uh, yeah a carry perspective like oh we've seen this before haven't we yeah we've seen this a good bit before and also the yeah. first the first 45 like uh, there's not not much is going to be said about it because it's the first score of the game but like both Dublin and Kerry were clearly nervous in those opening minutes I think Howard hits a wayward shot but before that Sean O'Shea drops the ball short both teams are nervous and then Cluxton obviously dead ball everyone's nerves are calmed from that point on and then we have a game in our hands so like you can't just underestimate what the stress of a 45 in, a, in front of an 82,000 half Cedar Stadium in a, on All-Ireland final day you know yeah um, is there a shower shame Wigan? To be footballer of the year. I think if Derry had got to the final, there'd be more of a strong argument in favour. Um, I mean, bear in mind, I'm the, the points count double in the final. So it's very yeah. difficult to. Now, Bernard Brogan did win it. Yeah. McGuigan was quiet against Cork in the quarter. 
which which counts against him. And he was outshone um, by Brendan Rodgers in that semi-final, wasn't he? Rodgers was the best Yeah, he did get decapitated, you know, punched yeah. in the head, yeah. <laughs> taken out from the side. Yeah. He was, yeah. He was you know, oh, was he, was he targeted? Kept under wraves. Is it fair Kept to say he was wraps. targeted? Well marshalled, yes. Yeah, well marshalled, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. Hmm. Uh, anyway, look, give us your views. 087-918-180 is the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment in the YouTube stream, as many of you already are. You can tweet us at Off the Ball AM. The other culture war that's going on at the moment is the Dublinification of the rest of the country. That slow, <laughs> steady, gelatinous creep of the suburbs and uh, right. stealing the energy. They're coming for you, Monaghan boy. It makes me sick. Yeah, Carrick McCross in South Monaghan is turning huh? into a uh, commuter belt, potentially. Yeah, okay. a lot of people, Dublin people living in Carrick now. You want to be careful about that? <laughs> that's where it all starts. Burn the Dublin jerseys at the border. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. There should be searches. I, I don't agree with a border, generally speaking, but... Um, in this instance, you're going to... Dublin. For this you, for you instance, I will make an exception. Searches would be, yeah, just for just for other county jerseys. Dublin jerseys. So, what's the story here is that... Um, Dunamore Ashburn, the club in Meath. Um, so, of course, the Tottenham Cup final was on recently. And then, of course, the Dublin uh, final at the weekend. Um and we were wondering, did they even show the Tottenham Cup final? Because the clip we're about to show you, uh, and trigger warning for those affected by, by uh, things that might make them gag this early in the morning. Uh, but this is in Meath, and this is a video of the Dunmore-Ashburn clubhouse and bar during the All-Ireland final on Sunday. Have a look. For, for our listeners, explain what's happening. Yeah, so it's basically... A sea of blue an there. An absolute sea of Dublin fans clapping, standing on their feet, supporting the dubs. A camera has panned, in fairness, from one side. So we're obviously... The TV is behind us. Mm-hmm. And a camera has panned. And on the right-hand side is the bar. And on the left-hand side is, is the windows that look out onto the pitch. So yeah. One of the training pitches. There, yeah. again. there you go. I'm, I'm estimating There's casually no a couple of hundred. Russian Ministry of Propaganda watermark in there at all. It's no, genuine. No, and it, this is off the. It's a, an Instagram reel. Yeah, it's the it's, it's it's club's official social media. No, it's the bar. Oh, it's in a the bar club, in the club. Okay, right. Which right, is right. not technically the club, of course. <laughs> right. So the club didn't put this up, but the bar in the club, which you would suspect might be connected mm-hmm. to them, you know, and they're like, yeah, no problems. Now, uh, we have we obviously talked about this yesterday. Tommy Tommy brought it up. He did. Well, maybe I brought it up, and Tommy. Refused to speak about it and then spoke about it. And um, I think people in me there are concerned, you know. They are concerned. So, so they should be, yeah. Now, we, we, we were speculating incorrectly, <laughs> as it was. And we, we, we should not speculate. It, it, was, it was wrong of us to speculate about such an important matter. Mm-hmm. This is a very, very important mm-hmm. matter. And we should not. Let's clear the air, I think. There's no, there's no fun in this. There's definitely no crack to be had in this, right? No, Jesus, This, this no. is a serious, serious matter. Apparently, the Talisman Cup final was shown in the same place as the All-Ireland final was shown. Mm-hmm. And so we were corrected by that, by a concerned member or... Someone, someone I think, linked certainly to Ashburn um, and to the club, I would imagine, as well. So they have sent us on three bullet points and they felt, of course, compelled to point these things out. As you've just said, Jerry, he said, Dunamore Ashburn GA Club did show the Tottenham Cup final and there was a huge push for tickets around the club. The second point was, although there are lots of dubs who play a great part in volunteering in Dunamore Ashburn, Ashburn, this is a very well-cropped video to the turnout on the day. So there was loads of Meath fans wearing Meath jerseys on the other so, side did of I the say camera? One meat jersey? I think it was a new ground situation where we only saw the sliver of oh, Dublin. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And the third point was also, I wouldn't be surprised if most of the Meath fans watched this one at home, as it's a stark reminder of where Dublin and Meath are in contrast to the 90s. Oh, shots fired there. Yes. And look, is it wrong? Is it, I don't know. Does this... 
Does it? Does it matter? Explain to me if it does. And I, I, like I'm, I'm. Oh, know. it does matter. Well, you're from where you're from. Are they supposed to stop being dubs because they're they've moved county? Like you, you lived in Dublin. Mm. Yeah, and stop being a Monaghan fan. Well, well, no, I haven't. Exactly. Yes. What's the difference? Well, there's there aren't the pub beside me in Dublin isn't putting on a watch party for Monaghan fans. Oh, the, sorry, the GA club. Well, uh, the other and final is on in the local GA club. Already a watch party. Now, we are told that sometimes buses do be organised to be going to the games in Croker from the club, and and sometimes I don't know are the same is the same effort going into getting the kids to support. Mead. It's a hard one. Like, how do you? Uh, well, who do you want your kids to support Sorry. if you're from a place? The concern for me is not that the match was shown by Dunmore Ashburn. I understand it's all on final day. I completely get that they're going to show the match on TV. The concern for me is, I would imagine, and I, I'm speaking on behalf of Mead people here, mm. but I, I, I would like, I, oh, I would like to think 90% of Mead fans wanted Kerry to win that match on Sunday. Let's be, let's be realistic. The, Dublin and Mead have had a traditional rivalry in Leinster. 90% of them wanted Kerry to win. Can confirm it's a rock and a hard place for Kildare supporters. It was, it was like, you know, come friendly bombs and fall and it's the end of civilization. and we never find out who won. We'd be happy with that. We would have been happy That's because Jack O'Connor... And the, the 98 team as well. It was a great day for Kildare. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not tough at all. My, my issue is not around the game being shown. It's the fact that it's just a sea of Dublin jerseys. I would have expected Dunmore Ashburn are showing the match. Everyone's going to land down their Meath jerseys. Supporting Kerry, similar colours as well. Yeah, yeah, and Kerry. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and that would be the case. It was the fact that it was. I don't agree with the the a commenter saying it was a well cropped video. I mean, pound around enough. I got a DM from somebody um, sickened me when I saw it. I'm a member of the club and a massive Meath fan. I actually tweeted it out for people to see. As the person who tweeted it didn't see a problem with it. No problem at all with the influx of dubs to the club as it's helping us grow and get better. But just do not be putting that video out there. It adds more fuel to the fire as we get enough slagging as it is. Uh, like it's just because it's made in Dublin isn't it if a thigh GA club were showing this game and there was a sea of Dublin jerseys I'd be just as sick well uh, we're in the south of the county I don't think there's true yeah it's not an issue there are some yeah, builds who've moved down or someone in Selbridge yeah. say or, or think, Maynooth maybe I'd, I'd say there could be similar there could be similar Scenes things going on. hiding in plain sight yeah um, so, so the concern, I, I, the concern is not with Dunmore Ashburn GA Club showing the match. It's also not with the the great Dublin people involved in the club and who live in Ashburn now because it's too expensive in Dublin. And look, it's still expensive in Ashburn, but at least it's a little bit further out. Uh, it's more just general friendly concern that there were so many Dublin jerseys uh, at a club where I would have liked to have seen a little bit of Mead support uh, slash Kerry support, given the rivalry. It, it, it. I did genuinely gag and half sorry for people eating their breakfast half feel like puking when I saw it first <laughs> so <laughs> that is a fact definitely uh, not no it's, it's this is not funny it's too serious it's, it's way it's too serious what, what would be the analogy for you Shane well, in it, terms of Monaghan because I think if I found out that um, if Monaghan Harps GA Club put on the All-Ireland, All-Ireland Final and it was if Monaghan Harps put on the Six Nations and everybody arrived down in their England jerseys <laughs> I think Basically, yeah. similar enough. Uh, yes, or or Cavan were in an All Ireland final and everyone landed in their Cavan jerseys, okay. their own jerseys, Rice jerseys. Like that would, yeah, that would cause me concern. It's a similar enough thing. Uh, Michael says all three of you are examples of this. It's a big factor to Dublin's Dublin GA success. A lot of rural Ireland moved to Dublin, so we were forced to move out to find a home. That's fair. I get that. Like the cuckoo bird. Yeah, we moved in. 
Um, you know, drive from Ashburn into Dublin for the day and go to your old local. Go into the history of um, of the Dublin, the early success of Dublin GA was certainly apparently driven by a lot of coaches coming up and being, well, we're going to play football here mm-hmm. and getting good at it. So, you know, but now you're reaping the rewards of it. You're like, no, screw you. We've we've got the we've got the football of the year. I don't care who it is. It's just one of ours. Mm. Do we want to? Do, do people want to change the map and stretch the border of Dublin into around Ashburn? Is that is that where we're headed here? Is has the pale just got bigger? I don't think that would be a very popular decision. I don't think so. Shane. I I have a really good friend from Ashburn, and I was like, oh, that's in Dublin, and uh, we didn't speak for. And they're some a, time are they a fervent Mead fan? Uh, no, they don't care about GA at all. So even it, on a purely geographical basis it's a bone of contention for them see I'd say now if you said that to the lads sitting in the front row in their Dublin jerseys they'd be like yeah we are a little enclave mm. we lost Malvinas except you know the other way around yeah like Dunmore Ashburn have some, have some like Brian Menton was a Dunmore Ashburn player they have some, some absolute meat legends yeah. in that club now it's actually cro- closer to Croker than it is to Navin if you're organising buses so. affinity mm. I don't know Maybe somebody from the club will come on and talk to us a bit about this. And uh, I, I'm sure it, it must feel a little bit. I don't know. Does it feel normal when they're all playing together? You'd hope it does. Yeah. Shouldn't the kids be in Meath jerseys if they're being brought up there? Says David Clark. My mum is Galway. Dad is West Meath, but I'm a Rosie, and it's the only jersey I'd wear. Like, I, I feel that way. I feel like um, my kids are growing up in Dublin. They should be Dublin supporters. Uh, I know other members of the team who come from other counties perhaps out west mm. are buying the, the jersey of the I don't know I mean but you're, yeah your kids will grow up right and wrong. they grow up Dublin fans but they'll have a soft spot for Kildare like, no they won't they'll try and no, no well no, no you no. see I, I, my dad was I, I grew up in Monaghan but my dad was from Galway but and you I, never play each other as in you never it doesn't Monaghan matter Galway, yeah, yeah, no. yeah I always had a soft spot I used to wear Galway jerseys I was at the All-In Final last rebel, year Galway I, you know I have a soft spot for the Empire is that what you're saying maybe like, but I think I think you always have a soft spot for the county of one of, of your parents. Yeah, well, like, absolutely. But what's your priority? Yeah, uh, it's a tough one. Now I say this as an Antrim hurling fan and a Kildare football fan, so you know <laughs> clearly the split personality thing is strong within all of us. And the hypocrisy, yeah. the rank hypocrisy of us. Yeah. Well, it's, just, it's your kids can wear whatever, like as Nathan Murphy well knows, your kids can wear whatever jerseys but, that they want. Yeah, that's uh, who I was getting at there. Yeah. Uh, Michael says exactly. My son plays for the local club in Carlo. This is where we live now. I've other friends with Dublin that moved out, and their kids play for the local team. So we'll spread the players out. It's true. And look, in the long run. Ashburn will benefit from this but will Mead benefit from it? I don't know. Will some of those kids decide that they want to play inter-county for Dublin if they get really good and are Dublin taking some of those players from outside their county borders? Mm. I mean are they? Is that happening? I think it might be. Mm. Surely not. Have we blown this shit wide open? Possibly. Mm. The thing is right so Ashburn um, Dunmore Ashburn's last Mead Senior Football Championship they've won three in their history 1927, 1928, 1942. So people of Ashburn come together. Uh, even if your 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 parents are, are from Dublin and you're forced as a kid to wear Dublin jerseys, you're going to grow up playing for Dunmore Ashburn. That's why you're in the clubhouse at the weekend. So if you're watching this in 10, 15 years, helping Dunmore Ashburn win a Meath Senior Championship. You have to play for Meath. If you're good enough, you play for Meath. Dublin Orange County. 7.54. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock this morning. Uh, Chloe Morey is going to talk to us to preview the Camogie final on this Sunday. Andy Mitten is going to talk to us about Manchester United's tour of the United States, the ownership situation and anything else you're having yourself. 
Julianne Russell is going to talk about the great career that Nephi has put together is putting together is it over from an Ireland perspective we shall see uh, Alan Quinlan the World Cup is upon us one World Cup is dead the new one begins uh, and then Daniel Whiffen was on the show last night talking about his incredible breakthrough season as Ireland's best swimmer in um, the men's we, uh, we started a conversation yesterday on um, in the office of the day before in the office about Dublin's win and how fervently Jack McCaffrey was celebrating uh, and it got us all thinking where does this rank Stephen Doyle was power ranking them wasn't he he was so the nine the nine since 2011 yeah. it's hard it's hard isn't it being a dub you know That's. I mean, it must be which so of tough. my nine children are my favourite well maybe you should like you know I, I, get the L snip there Dublin it's it's not an easy one I don't know what do Dublin fans think like was 2011 was obviously 16 year gap massively important and the most recent one two year barren spell um, and pr- probably because it's historic it's the ninth as well I asked Sean Potts this yesterday when I was texting him um, public in a course um, in Dublin and his opinion was it, it almost rivals 2011 people in tears again and it was excruciatingly dramatic last 10 minutes if and probably when the older crew step away they will do so at the very pinnacle you really get that luxury in sport so maybe this is second or maybe joined first for some Dublin fans I feel maybe there was one in the middle 2015 was important beating Kerry as well does the quality of the final come into it? That's what I want to know. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is it, the wor- is it the worst quality in terms of overall football? The final is the more tense and exciting it becomes. Mm. I think the proximity to disaster is what makes it great. Yeah. Right? So the replay ones have to be up there as well then. Top of the morning to you is the Grand Mannion and it's a picture of Paul Mannion at Smithfield. This was obviously from the other night when um, they were celebrating and the comments are embargoed and he's like, oh, I came back for one last tour. Right, that's basically what he says in one point. And then it's like, on the other hand, if everybody else decides to say, it's going to be very hard to say no. So I've gone from being like, oh, well, that's it, man. They're not going to, it's great. I, I agree with the person who told me, uh, sure, they won't even win less next year tonight. I'm like, oh my God, please just stop. It's yeah. enough. You've, congratulations. You've broken all the records. Go away now. Yeah. Go away. The drive for 10, what are they going to call it next year? They'll, they'll come up with something for it. Dan Delaney says 2017 versus Mayo seemed like a huge one too Michael says this one is the sweetest in my opinion been at all of them even 95 and this feels better than 2011 better than 2011 well I can see that 2011 is like just this damn burst of oh it's great we've won on All-Ireland we have no idea how good the team is now they've franked themselves as like you've witnessed the greatest collection of footballers that have ever existed yeah like the legend of so was it Potty and Mikey She was there somebody did Jack did Jacko also have eight but the legend of those Kerry footballers is the type of thing that has sustained Gaelic football's glamour for seven Jack half a century mm. Mm. and that's what this team are doing they're like they're injecting history and like showbiz at the same time mm. into the game and so I can see why if you're a Dublin fan I mean I don't know I have no idea what this is like Again. <laughs> I, just have, yeah. I just have bitter jealousy. Yeah, yeah. From it's, be- yeah. it's because they all returned. Like ah, it's like it's magnificent why. seven last dance. It's like whatever, whatever bad pop culture analogy you want, you can apply it to this, and nobody can correct you because they they wrote the bloody Hollywood ending. Mm. Like Cluxton, what? How did this happen? Yeah, it seems like on a whim, doesn't when it? Did this happen? Yeah, you'd wonder. I would argue an element of schadenfreude comes into it too. I certainly feel. Dan Delaney's mentioned in the YouTube comments, 2017 versus Mayo mm. seemed like a huge one. That's the one that hurts the most for me. That's the Mayo Young Goals. Yeah. The Young Goals was the draw. 
The own goals was no, sorry, the own goals was the year before, and 2017 was the Keegan goal. They got way early on. Now you you have a, a Keegan goal. Is it Keegan throwing the GPS? Is that, that 2017? Is that 2017? I think it might be as well. Yeah. Let's just get this right. <laughs> Let's get this right. Yeah. So Funny we had uh, yeah a way of searching this <laughs> search engine. Yes. Mm. Uh, yeah. What year was it? Oh, that's the Clifford four uh, four. That's 2017. The, the yeah. GPS. Yeah. Right. I mean, that was an unbelievable one. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Like, Dublin fans, let us know, how do you rank them? One to nine. I, like, for me, I can't see how 2011 can be beaten. But then again, it, for Dublin, it's a very personal thing. It's where you were, who you were with, how you watched the game as well, how you felt. It, yeah, no, no two Dublin fans are going to have the same, same order, one to nine, I'd imagine. I like snowflakes. Bang on. Uh, <laughs> that's the first reference this morning. There could be some more coming. Oh, certainly the comments are obviously always one of them. <laughs> it's eight o'clock. You're watching OTBAM. We're delighted to be with you this morning, wherever you are. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, that'll let you comment freely. You can also follow us uh, at Off the Ball AM. I'm going to keep calling it Twitter. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> on X. Oh, X. Yeah, that's on X, bro. All right. Uh, big, big game this weekend. Um, in Camogie they take over the entire GA narrative hopefully but I'd say Chloe Mori is with us Chloe good morning to you how are you? Hey lads how's it going? Good thanks um, one of the things about the the microwave season is that everything gets a bit telescoped uh, as a Camogie player slash fan slash supporter how do you feel the season has been covered in somewhat of the shadow of the big games that have been coming thick and fast? Yeah, um, to be honest, I'd, I'd say the whole season's probably uh, taken over with our, you know, the GPA and kind of our protests um, throughout the championship. But uh, it's it is quite condensed. I, I suppose I'm speaking as a club player as well. There are plenty of girls who are only itching for matches as well, and I think from that point of view, uh, like we start our club championship now in the next week, so. Um, our junior players are actually in the first match of the day on Sunday so like I, I, I'm looking at it from a club point of view and a county point of view and there's girls going for about 10 months at a time it's just a constant and it's the same with all inter-county players um, in terms of the media coverage and stuff it, like I said it's it's probably unfortunately this year been overshadowed by the protest but um, uh, like what can I say I think I, I think we're in store for a really good match on Sunday or three matches even on Sunday um, it is hard for any journalist probably to cover the matches as they're coming between the hurling, the football and the camogie um, but look we, we get on with it and uh, yeah we're, look we're looking forward to great finds on Sunday um, We'll talk more maybe as the conversation goes on about the rest of the season so let, let's preview the final and the Waterford story is really remarkable where they've come from in the last couple of years uh, you would have come up against them have you sensed this has been brewing over the last five years or has it largely come out of nowhere? No, it probably has. I mean, Waterford have been on the up for the last number of years. Um, myself as a Clare woman and I playing with them, along them, beside them, against them, probably annoying for me. I'm quite jealous because we would have thought we were on the same trajectory as them. But to be fair, they've put in an amount of work. They have some superb players. like, um, And I think everybody except anybody in Cork is going for Waterford. Um, like they, they beat Cork the last time they played, one eighteen to one fifteen, um, Cork definitely don't like that. 
<laughs> so I think it's going to be a huge occasion for those in Watford. I hope that occasion doesn't take over the Watford players. Um, they have some superb players and they probably actually play very similar to Cork. It's going to be like a very much a running game on Sunday. You'll see it's very athletic, the players that they have, both Cork and Watford. Um, we played Watford ourselves uh, very early on in a challenge match this year, Clare, and it was feisty to say the least. But uh, we have a habit in Clare of um, beating or playing people who get to the All-Ireland final and beating them. We did the same against Kilkenny last year and they went, ended up winning it. So maybe that might be a good omen for Watford, but um, it's class. They're going to have an amount of support. They're suggesting that it could be a record-breaking attendance for Camogie um, because of that Watford support. So... Uh, it's going to be a huge occasion. I think there's going to be a lot more people tuned into just to see how Watford get on. Second time ever reaching a final. It's going to be brilliant. They were intermediate as recently as 2015. So obviously a huge amount of work has gone in at underage level and proper coaching and structures and everything. But as you point out, that's great. Uh, but you need the good quality players. So for people who are tuning in on Sunday, who maybe haven't seen that much of the season so far, who should we be looking out for? Um, probably someone who's going to be she'll probably get player of the year or nominated for at least Beth Carton is immense she has three all-stars already she's only is she 24 25 she'll be playing around centre forwards but you'll see her all over the pitch she tends to go back into the half back line pick it up and she could score anywhere from probably midfield on um, she's the free taker as well Beth is superb um, very hard to mark you think you have her but you definitely don't she can shoot from anywhere so for water you have Beth Carton you have probably someone who's incredibly underrated in terms of her work rate, Captain Lorraine Bray. Um, there's going to be a really good duel there between herself and Saoirse McCarthy, I feel. Saoirse McCarthy also probably a shoe in for getting nominated for Player of the Year. She's an immense player for Cork. Um, you have Neve Rocket, um, as the name suggests. She's incredibly fast. It just so happens she'll also be excellent. She'll be on the wing probably for Watford, but very hard to stop when she's running. So you have Lorraine Bray, Beck, um, Neve Rocket. Their goalie, Brianna, is brilliant can actually take long-range frees, but superb on her puckouts as well. Um, yeah, so th- th- those are probably key players for Watford on the Cork side. Um, they have some bench to bring on. I mean, if you looked at the semi-final, they brought on Ashley Thompson, Laura Hayes, um, and they, like, class. They've beaten Kilkenny and Galway, who probably were their bogey team the last two seasons. I think they feel a bit hurt. They probably feel people haven't given them a chance all year, which is funny for Cork, but... People kind of all overlooked them, seeing as some of their senior players were out, like Ashleen was out with her knee, Laura with her ankle, but they've actually come and they're probably going to peak at the right time. Um, so you have, yeah, you have Laura, Tracy as well, centre-back. That would be interesting with Beth. Is she going to follow Beth back into the half-back line or is she going to sit? Um, but like, it's funny with Cork, any of the eight players that are in the middle of the field could probably play between the half-back line, half-forward line with fields. Like, that goes for Chloe Sigerson, that goes for Saoirse McCarthy, Laura Hayes, um, It'll almost be like a possession game on Sunday. There won't be any positions if you're looking at it um, because both teams play such a running game. They almost do one-two. They'll pop and run, pop and run. Um, but I feel that there might be a little bit more space in the Cork full back line. I think sometimes they're there for the taking. And I say that as a city here now and I'll be watching the game from my seat. But um, I think they're going to have to figure out a way to stop Beth and especially Neve Rocket, Abby as well, in the full forward line for Watford. Um, but like, look, same goes for Watford to Cork. Like, they're going to have a huge space inside that Cork full forward line. Um, you don't know whether they're going to run it or they're going to hit it in. And you have to figure out: Are we going to push up on Cork or are we going to sit back? 
because you're going to have people like Chloe Sigerson who can score from out the field. Beth will be doing the same for Watford. It'll be an absolute battlefield um, in the that middle third. Chloe, is the Beth Carton situation a David Clifford situation? As in, if you nullify her, do you nullify Waterford's chances greatly? Like, just look at the semi-final. I think she had 20 possessions, eight points mm. for them from play. So is it a case that if you can keep her quiet, you can really damage Waterford's chances? Um, you probably could, I suppose. Look, she's such a huge player. She's such a leader. Um, Beth is the type of person now, and if you were ever to talk to Beth, she'd be just laughing and joking, and she's kind of very unassuming, very quiet girl. Um, but when she plays, like she does her talking on the pitch, she's immense for Watford. Um, I think Watford, while they do have that balance, I think like if you're going to, if you see your star player kind of, I suppose, as you say, be nullified, um, whether that be by Laura Tracy, Laura Hayes or Saoirse McCarthy, I assume one of them might pick her up. Um, you're kind of thinking, you know, it's up to someone else now to try, you know, get those points that Beth normally would be. Um, so Cork would probably look to man-mark Beth, I assume. She does run all over the place. I think it'd be silly not to try man-mark Beth, but I do think Cork may have the people to do that. Now, if Ashley Thompson plays as well, Ashley tends to sweep up behind as well, so... You could just have someone follow or shadow Beth and whatever Beth tries to do, you can try uh, read where she's going to hit it. Um, Ashton Thompson tends to do that for the half-back line if she does start. Do you expect her to start? I mean, if I had Ashton Thompson on my panel, I probably would, yeah. <laughs> uh, she's probably coming back right, just the right time. Um, now, imagine bringing Ashton Thompson on as well as a sub and imagine having the depth in your panel to do that. I think Cork probably have a stronger bench um, than Watford. Um, like they have some brilliant young guns, Cork, that you know that are kind of up and coming this year, like that have really shown in the senior championship. So, like, um, it's probably a hard one for Matthew Toomey and his management. Do you, you know, play one of your best players, or do you want to try bring her on in case um, you need to settle? Because Ashton Thompson, that's what she does. She tends to settle in calm um, with the way she plays. She sweeps up ball. She's excellent at picking up people with delivery. So, I mean, I'd start her, but um, look, Corker, the master at tactics so uh, we'll see what happens um, you didn't use the word chippy but there was a sense of <laughs> that uh, it's okay we can we can use it you can uh, <laughs> for future um, uh, battles with them uh, like that underdog status Galway had beaten them three times already this year twice in the National League and once in the round robin and then they beat them in the semi-final but whatever about Waterford being overawed by the occasion there are ghosts for this Cork team to slay from last year when last puck of the ball they lost the All-Ireland final so Psychologically, you can see that swinging either way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like if you talk about Water being obviously newcomers to this stage and maybe having those nerves, Cork might feel like I, I feel like the, Cork, the pressure's on Cork because everybody just, um, whether rightly or wrongly, are just assuming Cork might, um, you know, go off and they could potentially wipe Water. Now, I don't think that's going to happen at all. I think if Water can keep calm and ride out any storm that Cork will bring, Cork come in waves. And if you can capitalize then on sometimes when they're trying to figure out what you're doing, which they do sometimes. Um, that's where Waterford can capitalise. I think Cork do have maybe a little bit of pressure on them because they probably assume that, now they might think it in camp, but that they are favourites. They will have some, I suppose, uh, from beating sorry, from beating Kilkenny and Cork, um, they'll take that positively going into the final. But they haven't won since 2018 and down in Cork, that's probably seen as a drought. So they'll feel like there's a little bit of pressure on them um, look, they're used to playing Crow Park though, and when you're in Crow Park, huge, expansive field. 
if you're new coming, a newcomer to that, like Watford, it almost takes your breath away for the first few minutes and you're trying to catch your breath where those are things that, you know, Cork could capitalise on. Is it encouraging from a Waterford perspective, Chloe, in terms of dealing with the occasion, the semi-final performance in the desperate conditions, like they go 1-7 to 3 points down, I think it was, to, to Tipperary, which is difficult in those sort of conditions to be 7 points back. Uh, but then they come back and they find their rhythm. And, and even later on, there's a lovely moment where... Um, Leisha Forrest, she's only 18 and she makes an unbelievable block from Cueva McCarthy to kind of almost secure the game and, and, and get them over the line by a single point. So do those little moments and, and that, I guess, comeback from Waterford in the semi-final hint at maybe being able to deal with this occasion? Absolutely, I hope so. I, I really do hope so because I actually think if Waterford stay, like, not even stay in it, but just keep toe-to-toe with Cork and I really think they should go toe-to-toe with Cork. You're going to have a, I, I think anything could happen then. Um, they're really resilient. They really are, and they're very physical. They, they, with the knocks and the tackles that you get in those rocks, um, you know, it would almost twinge you from playing against them. And they are so athletic, especially coming out the back. Uh, the the back, they pop and pass, pop and pass. Um, yeah, I think they're incredibly resilient. Like they've already beaten Cork. They beat probably what a lot of people were considering Tipperary to go on to the final and potentially win it. This is probably Tips, one of their best teams in a while. They had most people available to them. Like they beat them and they beat them by a point as well. Um, I think there's a huge resilience in Watford and I hope, I really hope they go toe-to-toe with Cork and I just hope that the occasion doesn't um, overawe them, as you say, because I actually think if it comes down to the close in you know, 10, 10 minutes, that 16th person up in Crow Park stands, I think there'll be a huge Watford support. I think that could help them greatly. And it's been mentioned by every team they've played, the support um, of Watford Camogie that they bring with them. Um, so I think if it comes, if they can really go toe to toe with them, keep their heads, um, anything could happen on Sunday. The good thing from Waterford's perspective is even if they're getting blown out in the first half, they were getting blown out in the first half against Tipperary and they managed to come back. So, like mm. that, you know, you don't want to be one seven to three points down after twenty five minutes, like that they were in the semi final. But being able to claw your way out of that is a real sign of a team that has resilience and maybe had some nerves in the semi final. And if you're the management. You're you're walking them through. Okay, this is what's going to happen. This is how the the anthem is going to be. It's going to be loud. It's going to be a completely different atmosphere from anything you've ever experienced in your life. But actually, we've been through worse than this. Absolutely no. Like, and I think you have to draw on those experiences. And certainly, as a player, like you, you know, listen. Every team now has their sports psychologist, their management, and is literally drawing that confidence um, and instilling that in the players that you've probably been through worse. You've like you've already done what you're supposed to, in terms of like you've already beaten Cork, you've already beaten favourites to get here. Like now you're on a stage where you know you have which will suit Watford as well a a big pitch um, because they are a very athletic team um, and I think people will see that if they watch the game on Sunday it'll, it's kind of like for like Cork and Watford but um, yeah no they're look they're incredibly resilient as I said as a Camogie supporter watching I do hope to go toe to toe. Um, I think they're a little bit more physical than Cork so um, if they can keep with them they might knock uh, the wind out of their sails a little bit and I think there's goals for the taking against Cork uh, Galway scored two in the semi-final Cork didn't score any um, so I think uh, and it's noted that Watford can put away one or two themselves so uh, it's going to be good I think that's an important point as well Chloe on the goals isn't it like those couple mm. of couple of Cheval McGrath goals in the, in the semi-final I think the second one was was uh, Amy Lee obviously drops the ball and kind of a a messy goal to concede from a Cork perspective but that's something that Waterford can really really target because 
and you can target it. it it's one of those things, isn't it, mm. that, that sometimes people say, how can, you, how can a team target goals? Of course they want to score a goal. If they get a chance, they'll take it. But Galway even got chances before those, before that first Siobhan McGrath yeah. goal, they, they were getting in for, for different chances. So as you say, Cork certainly let up goal chances. Yeah, look, as I said, um, I think the Cork full back line, I think they do need that cover from the half-back line, but if the half-back line have to push out with the half-forward line for Waterford, which they will do, um, there'll be there'll be an awful lot of space there. They're very pacey inside. Um, so, yeah, look, it's, there, there are definitely goals there uh, for, for the taking for Waterford. Um, it'd be great if there was a few goals on a Sunday, a nice spectacle, but like it always comes down a lot of time with freeze as well in Camogie, um, whether that's a good or a bad thing. Hopefully, please God, the referee lets it play on Sunday um, and lets it be the physical and athletic contest it's going to hopefully be. Um, but I think that's a big point as well. Beth is superb on her freeze and Cork throughout the championship have been kind of going between free takers. Now, they have loads of people that can take freeze, but it's about finding that one person who's you know uh, consistently ta- um, able to take them. So that could be a big thing it comes down to as well, just the consistency of the free taking on um Sunday, but look, hopefully the ref lets it play um, and we get a really good camogie after Sunday. It's obviously a, a triple header, as you said. So five o'clock in Croker's the senior final. You've got Meath and Derry at 2.45 in the intermediate and the junior is 12.50, Clare against Tip. Uh, does it bring back memories for you as well, Chloe? I know you were, if you go back to the 2008 All-Ireland Junior Final, mm. Clare Offaly, you're 15 years of age. Like, that must have been <laughs> mental. Yeah, I was gawking out my mouth at the stand and I was taking off after 22 minutes because I was looking up to see where my dad was and my mother. Um, but I, I was, geez, I was so thankful for the experience. Uh, yeah, it was 2008 since Care got there. Um, there were women there I played with that are like icons of Clare Camogie. And after winning that, I think it was Sean and I who got that last minute goal. Um, I've never experienced anything like it. The support we got even when we came down to Clare. Um, I can't remember, was I in my junior shirts here just about, or I think I was just going into the junior shirts. Um, so I was in St. Cames at the time. Um, there was, it was madness. It was, it was brilliant. But uh, yeah, look, I hope, like we've been training, we've gone about new ways here in Clare. We, we're trying, the, the seniors and the juniors train together. Um, I suppose we're trying to change the way things are done here. So I've played with all those girls this year. And honestly, there's some girls there, the stalwarts, that I really do hope they come out with a win on um, Sunday. We have such experience in the back and we have girls, we have really pacey forwards. I was trying to follow them around throughout the year, <laughs> but to no avail. They're excellent, excellent players. And I think probably there is definitely probably three or four that could have played for us this year, I suppose. And, you know, we have that conundrum here at the minute where you're almost, you know, robbing you know, Paul to play Peter, whatever that saying is, in terms of we could have had players for senior this year, but trying to make sure are we blooding them the right way. Um, but look, it, it's come out trumps. They're in a final now. Um, I hope I I hope they do it. They deserve it. There's a huge, um, huge effort gone into getting these girls into the final. So um, I hope they do it against Tip. It'll be, that'll be good match as well. Tip are young themselves. They do have some experience. Um, but... I think, look, I can only go for a clear win there. <laughs> I wouldn't be a great pundit. Um, but then Derry and Mead, that would be an excellent game as well. It's been tit for tat with them. Um, Derry, incredibly physical, as all Northern teams are. They are incredibly resilient as well. I think Mead, um, they've had probably a tougher run to the final. They're very athletic, excellent hurlers, actually. Um, great stick women. And um, I'd probably tip maybe Mead for that one. Um, I, I was just looking it up there. The... 
Waterford beat Kildare in 2015 in the intermediate final mm. and Beth Carton was playing. She must have been a similar age when to you yeah. when you were winning the junior. Uh, when she won the Player of the Month award in April, it was almost exactly the same week that Kildare pulled out of the intermediate championship this year. So you can see that the difference between something that's being well run in the county and something that's not being well run in the county, the divergent paths. Like there's no better example of two teams who were exactly on the same path now, granted, uh, it was 2-9 to 1-5, so it was a fairly clear-cut win for Waterford in the day. To a team who are in the All-Ireland final, hopefully bringing a record crowd versus a county that can't even feel properly. Um, and I think maybe that's at the heart of the integration and the charter. And like that's maybe the most clear-cut example for people who are wondering why, why was the championship played under protest this year? Well, it's stuff like that, presumably. Yeah, no, exactly. And... Uh, I think it's very important to bring those issues to light because sometimes we tend to sugarcoat things. I think with women's sports, like, oh, look, isn't it great? This is happening. This has happened. We're going to get a record-breaking attendance. And all those things are excellent. And to be fair, to be fair to both the ladies' Gaelic football, the camogie and the GA, this year they decided at some point after protesting, they decided, look, it's going to be for the betterment of the game if we can meet and talk about this charter. And they did eventually, to be fair to them. So, I mean, there's you know, an excellent thing. And and as a player, for them to have listened to just our concerns about that is excellent. But, you know, we can't go without that fact that Kildare and Waterford were pretty much on the same level pegging. And, and as you said, putting efficient resources, I think that's important, efficiently putting resources into something, you can see it's come up amazingly well for Waterford. And unfortunately for those who play Camogie and Kildare, they're probably going to be watching Sunday going, like, you know, is anybody looking at this kick? Is, there's a huge issue here there's been problems like we need to as you say integration or there needs to be and I think there is a proper view I think Liam Sheedy's actually heading it up as well about what actually has happened and what are we going to do about it but um, yeah I think that's look that's an important point to note for people who are maybe just about to get into Camogie or just watched on Sunday um, you can't sugarcoat things all the time and sometimes things have to be dealt with Um and passing off responsibility all the time and it's your fault it's your fault it's this person's like everybody has to come together there's normally whoever plays camogie or into camogie uh, there's solutions everyone wants solution nobody's just giving out for the sake of giving out that's what i'd always say so if someone has an issue you need to try to deal with it um so um i hope that review can see have a look at waterford and go well where have we gone wrong from here and i think there's lots of other teams in that position as well um Lots of sugarcoating going on. So, um, look, hopefully we know integration is years away. I understand it, a huge process, but I think there's loads of little steps you can do. We have the one club model. Yeah, um, yeah there's loads of different things we do. So, look, hopefully yeah. um, people, yeah. But uh, there is, there is. it could be years away or it could be really quick if everybody just decided they were going to make it really quick. Like, that's the other side of this yeah. that... Um, not to sugarcoat it, I think that's exactly what, what should happen anyway. No, I was just being politically correct. If I if I could, yeah, like I would love if it could happen as soon as possible. I mean, I, you know, there's people saying this has to happen, that has to happen, fine. I actually think the you, the biggest problem is a mindset change between those um, traditionally maybe within who think Camogie should be itself and GA should be itself and ladies Gaelic like football, we should all just worry about ourselves. There's a mindset there like it's a cultural mindset about, well, why are they getting that and what, how are they making this or what are they... Listen, I think... Uh, that's my feel bull. That's what that mm. is. That's my feel bull. That's what it is. Like, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, no, yeah, you yeah. can't have hot showers. I'm sorry. No. So then, yeah. the, then the under 16 boys won't have hot showers. Like, come on. Come on. 
Come on. Yeah. No, there's a there's a mindset change that needs to happen across all of sport. I think in terms definitely in terms of GA, um, we're all the one family. We're everybody's working together to create something that is completely unique in the world. Um, isn't that enough? How do we all do that together? And there's your that's it. There's no argument after that in my head anyway. Chloe, great stuff. We'll definitely come back to this. Thanks a million. Thanks very much, lads. Enjoy the games. Cheers. That's uh, Chloe Mori there giving us a preview of the All-Ireland Camogie finals this weekend, the three games at Croker on Sunday. Uh, if you want to get in touch, you can text the show 0879180180 or you can leave a comment on YouTube. We're talking Manchester United and Andy Mitten next. OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off The Ball So Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off The Ball. New Braeburn locations are popping up uh, all over the country every month so visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Brayburn to find your nearest Brayburn coffee experience Andy Mitten good morning to you how are you? Uh, I'm jet lagged <laughs> and I'm alright I'm looking forward to coming to Dublin at the weekend I've missed a deadline for accreditation uh, I'm seeing how cheap your capital city is for Ooh. accommodation as well Oh, absolutely <laughs> everywhere and uh, no, I'm all right. But I just I woke up at two o'clock in the morning. Nine hour time difference between uh, Las Vegas and Europe, and I was in Vegas for the final game of Manchester United's uh, preseason tour. So I'll get some sleep. Come to Dublin, doing a night on Saturday at the Sugar Club. Then we've got the game against the Basques of Athletic Club, and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. The atmosphere should be amazing. It'll be essentially a home game for Manchester United, uh, and. Um... Yeah, what kind of team do you think ends up playing? How close to the full team does he need to start getting game time into? We're essentially two weeks away from the first league game. What's your instinct about who'll play and who won't play? I'm glad you've asked that because I've just looked at my Instagram messages and it seems that 2.8 million Irish people have asked the same question. (laughs) People have bought tickets, they want to know what the team's going to be and that's fair enough. I, I think it will be a balance uh, respect for the fact that people have paid a lot of money for tickets and tickets have been expensive on these pre-season tours, far more expensive than games at Old Trafford and also a balancing act because there'll be a game at Old Trafford on, on Saturday. That's purposely kicking off early on Saturday. Um, so Ten Hag, I think, will, will be at both. But I think you see some big names in Dublin as well. Um, I don't think you'll see the absolute strongest Manchester United team in either Equally, you won't be seeing the type of team United put out against Wrexham in San Diego a few days ago. So uh, there will be some names there. And I think Manchester United are very aware of of the huge support in the Republic of Ireland. I think it'll be stronger than the team which went out against Leeds in Oslo because the pre-season is much more advanced. All the players are back now. And he's also got a big squad. He actually needs to get rid of players, some of them who are big names. So... They need minutes. They're going to get them at the uh, at the wonderful Aviva Stadium. The price of these pre-season tickets, Andy, is farcical, isn't it? I mean, yeah. a lot of people paid big money over in America, I guess, to see that Wrexham United game. And yeah. even the most fervent United supporter, I think, if they could have named three of the starting 11, they'd have been doing quite well. Like, it's a bit of a joke. Yeah, and I've been writing about it and covering it. Um, and it concerns me. Uh, there's a few factors here. Dynamic pricing is used. Uh, I don't like it. It's used in the airline industry. It's very common in the United States. The economy in California or New York is far stronger than Europe. The, the dollar being strong means that people are just used to paying a lot more for, for tickets. So I get why they're expensive. And Manchester United are not cheap. Even though the club are not charging 
or setting the ticket prices it's the promoter but the promoter needs to charge high prices because manchester united are not cheap to get over but some of them prices for the wrexham game probably average 160 dollars for manchester united's under 21s team it is ridiculous because so much progress has been made on ticket prices for games in england that 30 pound cap for premier league games mark real progress from fans Ticket prices for Old Trafford are really reasonable. I've had people in the last year um, get tickets for face value and say, is this some sort of joke? Is it really only 34 quid? Or like, is a pint really only three pounds? I'm like, yeah, it is. That's the truth. But the preseason games, New York sold out. $200 average ticket prices against Arsenal. Vegas at the weekend didn't sell out. Crowd of 50,000, 69,000 seat a stadium. What a stadium, by the way. And tickets prices for that were really expensive. But they came down because they're using this dynamic pricing. So I was hearing stories of people in Los Angeles saying, we saw tickets had dropped to $50, uh, $50 so we decided to make the drive over. So it, this, this is how the tickets are priced there. But I don't like it. To be fair to Manchester United, they did try and sort out um, fans who travelled over for like $60 and also had a good connection with the season ticket holders um, and, and and support clubs as well to try and help them. But yeah, overall, ridiculous. Tell me how you feel the off-season has been for Manchester United so far. It's obviously incomplete. The transfer deadline doesn't close until the end of the month, so there's still plenty of time for more likely more exits than incomings, but still some key incomings to be completed as well. I'm all right about it. And why am I like that? Well, I had a good sit down with Eric Ten Hag at the weekend, speaking to different players on and off the record, coaching staff. Um, if you're going to judge results pre-season, that's usually misleading. So Manchester United have lost the last three games, but did well against Arsenal in New York. I'm optimistic about the signings have come in, the fact that they've come in quite early, new goalkeeper, Mason Mount in midfield, Rasmus Hoyland as well up front. I think every incoming signing, fans have an idealised version that is going to be successful. In reality, it's about a 50% hit rate. Although, I think Ten Hag's a good judge of of, of a player and his signings have, have been good. So, I think United are moving in the right direction under Eric Ten Hag. I think it would be very, very difficult to compete with Manchester City in the way that they're funded for anybody. But I would expect and hope that Manchester United continue to improve, get more points this season, do okay in the Champions League and sort out that away form against the top teams, which was which was shocking last year, really bad. And I, I asked players about it, I asked the manager about it and they just said we need more consistency. But the patterns of play during matches, the evidence I saw of the players settling in together, going on nights out together, taking the kit man for a night out in San Diego. I like that sort of stuff. So I've been on the, these pre-seasons. I remember 2018 when Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho was doing his very best to piss off every Manchester United fan. And they've been really bad. And you go into the season thinking, this is not going to be good. But I'm pretty optimistic. Uh, the kit man will have uh, Adidas kits to deal with for, for a further 10 years and a massive £900 yeah. million pound partnership. I think it's the biggest kit deal in Premier League history that was confirmed this week. Like that's uh, Although it might bypass United fans based on the, the transfer, the, the more juicy transfer news, it's, uh, it's a pretty huge deal for United. Yeah, the numbers are big. I, I got an inkling that that was going to happen. 
the bottom line is the kits sell well. They continue to sell really well. I remember in the 90s when a new kit came out every two years, I'd have the main British media outlets ringing me saying, this is disgraceful. You must be absolutely outraged about this. And it was it was primetime news every two years. Now there's kits every year, free kits per year. And I said then, no one's forcing anyone to buy them. You know, my mates at the match, I don't think any of them have bought a kit for, for years. But they're really popular, especially with younger fans. And it is a big source of income for Manchester United. And I like I like Adidas being with Manchester United. I like the retro stuff that they've done. I like the kits in the 1980s. But that is guaranteed income for a long time. And that will help. Is that a bad thing? Does that mean that the Glazers are going to go... Actually, we're sat on a complete gold mine here. We're going to stay. Not heard anything about the sales process. That is the cloud that is hanging over Manchester United at the moment. Fans want clarity. People at the club want clarity. They want assurances. None have been forthcoming whatsoever. So that would be the main negative with Manchester United, the ownership. But if they can do deals like that with Adidas, then you know other clubs inflate their commercial um deals i think with manchester united it's a genuine one based on on huge demand the, the team are incredibly popular in terms of the style of play this season the change of goalkeeper is about as fundamental a thing that you can do when it comes to uh the implication of what you're trying to do and the communication the philosophy and all that kind of stuff um we can talk about the uh, berating of harry Maguire in a moment but what's what what do you think will happen when Onana beds in and so we're two months in? What will the difference in style of play be? Well, Ten Hag said it's going to be pretty similar to last season, but but you're quite right. Onana is a totally different goalkeeper. I was watching him in training, threading passes through defenders with usually pinpoint accuracy and being thrilled by that. And I spoke to a lot of people about Onana, um, people, people in Italy, people in Holland, proper goalkeeping coaches and the reports were very very good clearly Ten Hag likes him a lot but he takes major risks he would be in a similar style to to Edison to Alisson um, managers at, at the very best clubs want goalkeepers to almost be an outfield player like Barca did with Victor Valdez a decade ago or, or even more so I think fans have welcomed the Inanna sign him but Almost everyone I speak to says there will be two errors. There will be some errors. So I'd like to see the reaction when when, when that happens. Because, again, fans have this idealised version of, OK, De Gea made six mistakes last year, so we're not going to make six this year, so everything's going to be perfect with Anana. But he, 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 he berates his players. He's very vocal. He's very confident. He's not short of an opinion. So you're getting some very strong characters in the dressing room room now. In a pretty good way, not energy sappers. They were let go a year ago. People who who I think are winners when things are going well. You have to ask them what they're going to be like when things are not going so well. But Manchester United have been going well. And as I said, decent signings. I like the idea of the goalkeeper. Bring it on. Let's see what they're going to do. There was a, an interesting moment from Anana in the, I think it was the Dortmund friendly a few days ago, Andy, where he uh, berates Harry Maguire for, a, for what he sees a, as a bit of an error. Um, like, of course, £20 million bid from West Ham rejected. 
for Harry Maguire I don't know if they'll come back in there's rumours that Ever- Everton might be interested as well will he be a United player in, a, in a, another couple of months don't know but what I do know is Harry Maguire wants to stay at Manchester United he absolutely wants to stay at Manchester United and he wants to fight for his place and Ten Hag was quite conciliatory about him but then you see Scott McTominay chosen ahead of him as captain uh, in Las Vegas for that game Um it was an awful goal to concede, but they all were, actually, including Dortmund's goals. Bad, bad errors. Get them out of the way pre-season, giving the ball away. But I've got no issue if the um, goalkeeper wants to have a proper go at his defenders. And I'm sure when it's him and Lissandro Martinez going at each other, then that's going to be equally entertaining as well. With Harry, I think Harry's a good player. Um, he's not the first-choice central defender for Manchester United. Very interesting on Saturday night in Las Vegas to bump into some Dallas United fans who were paying homage to Harry Maguire. They're like, we need to say this to you. We absolutely love Harry. What, all of you as a collective? Absolutely. Because he has had stick. He's had a lot of stick. Uh, He's had too much stick and he's become a scapegoat. Fans always need a scapegoat and and it is absolutely Harry Maguire. Um, At times last year, it was David De Gea, but Harry Maguire is the one, but... I don't think he's said the wrong thing. I think he's been very professional. I've spoke to him several times. I think from Maguire's perspective, he'd be wondering why have Manchester United not come out and emphatically said he is not for sale? Well, that's because you and I know that if a big offer comes in, there will be pressure to to move Harry Maguire on. Yeah. Um, West Ham, flushed with all that money from Declan Rice, have decided to spend about 2% of it on new players. So people know that West Ham have got money. Uh, I think Harry Maguire would be a very good defender for a, a very good Premier League team, but you're not going to be seeing Manchester City coming in for him like they did did a couple of years ago. He, he needs a couple of good things to happen. He needs a run of matches. Um, probably something bad has got to happen for him to to come good, you know, an injury to a player, and, and just to get out of this pit that he's been in for a long time where he's not going to be judged... Um, playing at home against Southampton or Fulham. He needs a really good game against Liverpool away and he's just not been getting that opportunity. Andy, what's the shape of the team? Where's Mount playing in respect of Casemiro? Is Mount a like-for-like replacement for Ericsson? How how do you expect the midfield stroke forwards to line up now that we have a number nine as well? Ten Hag wanted Mount because he's so versatile. Uh, But he also says his best role is a central one. But he also says Jaden Sancho's best role is a central one. And the central role is occupied by Bruno Fernandes, who's now the captain. So you can't have nine players in that one position just in front of the midfield. I think with Mount, he's got more legs than Ericsson. I think Ericsson tired towards the end of last season in games and in general. He had a good season, Ericsson, but after his injury, it was notable. Um, Mount, someone said to me they could see him playing deeper, almost giving legs alongside Casimiro in place of Fred, who is up for sale, uh, or Scott McTominay, who Manchester United would listen to offers from. So anywhere centrally, Casimiro's the man. He's the number one. Uh, everything else around him is is subject to, to form. And I know that Ten Hag really pushed for Mason Mount. He spoke to him and said, I want you to be a big part of my team. And he felt that Mason Mount really wanted to join Manchester United. So... 
Tenag is building his team and he's, he's getting pretty close to his team as well. I tried to push him on how close is this team to the one you want, but you get answers. He's quite diplomatic. You get answers like every football team is constantly evolving. We're always looking to strengthen. Yeah, I know that, Eric, but, you know, What's you it, you're saying seven or eight new signings now. Yeah, so I go into your head, you're at the gates of hell and you have to win a match with this current squad. Yeah. To stay alive, who's your who's your team? And it, like, it's Casemiro, Mount, uh, the captain, as you said. They're the trio there. It's yeah. Rashford, Hoyland, and Anthony. Is that it? Good question. Sancho had a pretty good preseason. He had a seven eight out of ten preseason. Anthony Martial, uh, who's very talented, but we'll, we'll probably rule him out after six or seven minutes with another injury. <laughs> Um, Hoyland, still very young. He's only twenty. I'd expect him to be. You know, he might come in and, and just just explode and be fantastic, but it's a big ask for someone so young. Tenag raves about him. He really does, and you'll see some some quotes when he actually signs, saying why he thinks that he's a good player. Um, Anthony, I think, needs a good second season. Cost a lot of money last year. Probably the most disappointing of Tenag signings. Um, cuts inside, very skillful, works works well defensively as well, but cannot shoot on goal. You need to get them um, watching him on some of the pre-seasons. It was, it was just his shooting really has got to it got to improve. So it, it's all these places are all up to be won, and Tenag, as we've seen many times, will make the difficult decisions. So putting the gun to my head, first game of the season. Yeah, Mount, Casimiro, Fernandez, Hoyland, Rashford, Sancho, oh, Stroke Anthony. <laughs> um, one man who, who may be on the bench a little bit this season, potentially feature as well, and he is uh, Johnny Evans. I mean, eight years after leaving the club, obviously came through the academy at Old Trafford, all of a sudden, hops in for a few games in pre-season, clearly impresses Eric Ten Hagen, appears to be on the verge of a, a one-year contract. Top lad, Johnny. I put a false rumour out last week that he was signing an eight-year contract and he got wind of it. <laughs> I'm glad he took it in the right, in the right spirit. Uh, I really like him as a person. I don't think he should have ever been sold in 2015. Van Hall did his best to offload as many talented players who'd come through the club and replace them with, with inferior um, uh, players. So it makes sense for me. Johnny Evans is not going to be the first-choice centre-half, uh, but... He, he 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 can be absolutely competent in in matches and maybe move into a role, um, coaching and and guiding the younger players as well, because United have lost. You know, David de Gea had been had been there for for twelve years. If Scott McTominay moves on, you, you can't lose all the players who who know what Manchester United is supposed to be about. So Johnny's made a good impression. I wasn't thinking that after 28 minutes in San Diego, if I'm honest, against Wrexham, when the whole team were having a stinker and being out-muscled and were really struggling to deal with Wrexham's set-pieces. But uh, I'm, I'm pleased. You know, Johnny's not going to be so expensive and he's really high, highly regarded. And I'm not expecting him to get the winner at Liverpool away. Mm-hmm. But you never know. Yeah, exactly. Hollywood's, you know. Um, the other elephant in the room at Manchester United at the moment is the ongoing situation around Mason Greenwood. What do you think will happen here? I think something will happen soon. I'd be prepared for something to happen soon. If you would have asked me two months ago, 
I would have probably said moving him away, putting him out on loan because he does have a contract. So you've got to look at it from that perspective. My understanding is that people on the football side are more amenable to to him coming back. Um, there's been some concerns uh, within the club, so the, 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 you're not getting a, a unified opinion of what should happen. And it's the same among fans as well. You're getting fans saying. Um, it would be disgraceful if he ever comes back. We heard the tape, etc. And others saying, well, actually, he's not been found guilty of anything. So it's a very contentious issue. Uh, I would be leaning more towards Manchester United somehow entertaining him and bringing him back. I don't have any hard evidence of that, but I think it is moving towards that. There was a story which was front page news on Saturday saying... Adidas had no issue with this, and Adidas are obviously clearly a big sponsor, but um, Adidas denied that. But I, 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 I think it is moving in in, in that direction. Yeah, because the, long, the longer it goes on, the more likely that is to happen. Because if they were going to move yeah. him, they would have moved him by now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do I feel about that? Totally conflicted. Um, he's a, he's a top top footballer, but you know I heard that tape as well, so. It's 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 a difficult one, but a, a, a decision does need to be made. Uh, Eric Ten Hag has given his view. He answered questions on it in New York, and then when we asked him again about it at the weekend, he said, "Look, I've said all I want to say here." So, I think when an announcement is made, there will be some turbulence, and that will be the main story for a day or two in, in the Manchester United soap opera. Yeah, I think it's difficult to unhear the tape, really. Like as a, yeah, yeah. as a, a fan of football, uh, yeah. You know, and I understand that people say, "Oh, uh, should he be punished for something?" And it's like, well, he's not been—he hasn't got to jail, so he's free to live his life. It's just that maybe Manchester United fans don't really want to be associated with that. Then I, I overheard a conversation at the supermarket the other day. Two Man United fans going, "Ah, sure, look," you know, and I was like, "Yeah, okay." That's football fans are football fans uh, of all clubs. This is not specific in any yeah. way to Manchester United. Every other club in the Premier League has had issues, um, but there does seem to be a tolerance for uh, domestic violence in sport. And yeah. I mean, it's just not a good look. It really no, no, it's not, and 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 it's historical as well. If you're going to judge some of Manchester United's greatest ever players, there's major question marks over what they were like as people off the field. And as you say, it's not just Manchester United. It's it's all football clubs and fans change the tune or they let the ability of the individual um, blur their opinion of it. But yeah, we all heard the tape and I'm, I'm, I'm a father of two daughters. I was horrified when I, when I heard that tape. Then again, um, what do you do with the individual? Do you, does, he, does he come into society, be a, a tax-paying, successful citizen or does he get ostracised, which in his mind he's not been charged of anything? It, it's very, very complicated. And I think it needs to be it needs to be resolved um, sooner sooner rather than later. I've noticed as well a sort of soft focus on him. Um, he's become a father um, with his partner. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what I don't know what is what the decision is going to be. All right. Andy, football's back. Great to have you back with us. Thanks a million. Thank you. Um, everybody always gets offended when I say football's back because obviously the league won't go anywhere. I'm, I'm deliberately... <laughs> I, I, I know what I'm doing. It was a joke. Uh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Premier League is back. The um, 
what what's it called these days is on on Sunday uh, it's Arsenal versus Manchester City Community Shield yes nobody cares about it but then all of a sudden something happens and they, they do care about it that was the first time this season we, we understood blah 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 so beware it's a trophy uh, isn't it it's a trophy it's not it's not it's <laughs> a shield, shield. <laughs> 8.47 Colin Mulaney good morning to you good morning lads how's it how going how are you who's Very the footballer well. of the year oh good question uh, David Clifford I think David Clifford but he got smoked in the All-Ireland final did you not you didn't get the memo uh, I think David Clifford is the best footballer in the country and he is the best footballer in the country that's and he has been the best footballer of the year of the of the championship year I think there's an argument for Cluxton there is yeah. an argument for Cluxton definitely uh, and I'm not sure if Dublin win the All-Ireland without Cluxton Cluxton's already won it does that mean that he can't do it again Clifford's already won it hasn't he he was footballer of the year last yeah, year. He's really yeah. footballer of the year. But I think it's a it's a player's vote, isn't it? Yeah. So I would I would say that Clifford is quite popular amongst all the players as well. That, that might sway it in his favour. Um, Ironically, I think the smoke thing is going to have a negative impact on the candidacy of the Dublin footballers. Like, and it's not necessarily. It doesn't always follow that you have to have won the All Ireland to win Football of the Year. Like the Lee Keegan, Andy Moran, or two of the more recent. Yeah, fair point. Bernard Brogan that haven't done it so. Um, Only two people have won it twice. Can you name them? Well, Jack O'Shea did it two years in a row. Fenton. Did he? I, I'm, I'm so from '95 on. I'm saying. Ah. <laughs> when football <laughs> starts again. <laughs> so, sorry, when Wikipedia starts. '95. Uh, uh, Gooch? No, no. Gooch never won it. Did he? Only two players have won it twice. Only two players have won it twice since '95, according to Wikipedia. Uh, Fenton. Fenton. Correct. 2020 and 2018. Has Clifford won it twice? No. The other's a Meath player. Trevor Giles. Trevor Giles in 96 and 99. Right. There you go. I'm surprised, like, maybe there is something in that. Like, do people own, do they only give it out once? Like, Cluxton wins it in 2019 only, McCaffrey well, in 2015 it, only. It became a player's vote in the middle of that. Yeah. Like, I, I think the All-Star Committee used to pick it. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, journalists have a say now. They, no, journalists they, pick the All-Star team, don't they? But I think they might also do the shortlist. Yeah, okay, yeah. And it's only some journalists. It's a privileged few. Have you ever had the privilege? I have not. Dave McIntyre was a, a right. all-star selector for a while. Okay. Pressure. Pressure and even um, telling people that you're doing it. I don't know. The, the, Look, the footballer of the year is David Clifford. He should win it two years in a row. That, that's a fact. He might not have won the All-Ireland. Is he definitely footballer of the year? Like definitely, oh, definitely, I don't definitely, think it's definitely. definitely de- I don't think. I, no, no, sorry, sorry. It's, cut, it's but not I think he will win it. I'd be leaning if, there, if it is a Dublin player. I am leaning towards Stephen Cluxton. To be fair. McCarthy w- was immense and, and what he's done is, has been incredible but Fenton was Fenton, pretty good Colin Maskell yeah and you, can, you can't Maskell had a bad semi-final mm. and so but like but I would say up to that point was he the standout Dublin player of the season yeah had a reasonably good second half in the final excellent second half like a game changing second half yeah. really from the Dubs perspective catches breaks makes the turnover puts Turn the pressure over, yeah. on for the goal and kicks a really important point at a crucial moment mm. did something else as well yeah, I feel I feel like Paul Flynn ruined his own argument in his tweet because he he was saying the fact that you know look, McCarthy didn't have his best game in the final, but still, but like yes, Clifford and McCarthy both didn't have a great game in the final. Like they're to their be- to their massively high standards, is what I mean. So yeah. that 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 doesn't point towards McCarthy as the footballer of the year either. Um, neither of them had a good game in the final, so like you judge it on the you judge it on the season. And Clifford was immense. The day after like it was the day after his mother dies, he. You know, has an unbelievable game in the Munster final. Like, 
other games as well where he just shoots the lights out the final itself he apparently plays terribly and still scores two I think, po- I think the, Derry, the Derry performance was just incredible uh, yeah. both, at both ends of the field if you look back at the five or six minutes at the end he's down yeah, yeah, the yeah. other end of the field winning yeah. turnovers and, and cleaning up loose ball yeah. um, and Jack a couple Connors of moments against after. Tyrone I'm coming back round to it I'm coming back round to it but I do think the Cluxton case is like in the greatest moment of the greatest pressure when like everything is riding on it mm. You're like ping, 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 yeah. ping, 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 and then the two <laughs> the two scores that he got in the first half as well, uh, like, oh. incredible. Well, McC- James McCarthy's never won it, so they're probably going to give it to him for, like, for that reason. And I still make the case. I love Andy Moore, and I love him as a man, as a pundit, as a manager. But James McCarthy was a footballer of the year that year. Yeah, twenty twenty seventeen. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. <laughs> What's got on, Carl? The Women's World Cup action this morning. Uh, Argentina and Sweden just at halftime. It's goalless there. Sweden on course to top Group G as things stand. And then South Africa and Italy is a goal apiece uh, approaching halftime there. Seven minutes of added time played at the end of the first half there. There was a, an absolute uh, howler of an own goal there from Italy to bring South Africa back on level terms. Uh, the other matches later today come in Group F. France lead the standings there ahead of their meeting with Panama. Panama already out of the tournament. Jamaica take on Brazil. That's going to be uh, a big one in terms of the qualification picture there and both of those games kick off at 11 o'clock this morning. Big news in the League of Ireland uh, last night because Daryl Horgan is back at Dundalk. He rejoins the club having left in 2016 to join Preston North End. He spent some time on loan at Stevenage last season. His contract with Wickham Wanderers expired earlier this year. It's expected he'll be available for Dundalk's meeting with Shelburne in the league on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Roshan Irene was just over half a second off securing her second medal at the Paris Swimming Championships in Manchester last night. She finished fourth in the 100 metre breaststroke final two more swimmers in action today Nicole Turner in the final of the women's 200 metre individual medley and Barry McClemens is in the heats for the men's 100 metre butterfly S8 later this morning uh, Tony McEntee has been handed another year in charge of the Sligo senior footballers uh, he's going to go into a fourth season in charge Carlo have confirmed the reappointment of Niall Carew as their manager for next season and the Galway Plate is the feature on day three of the Galway Festival action at Ballybridge underway again today from 10 past five My brother has spoken in the YouTube comments Himself and his housemate Jamie just moved into their new apartment in South Coogee in, in Australia. He says, tuning in from Sydney, Cluxton for me. Someone has replied, Chris McCann, Cluxton my hole. <laughs> <laughs> so, that is the YouTube comments. Summed up, I think, every single morning. There you go. Thanks for the comments. Um, are you hoping to get the call from Young McEntee? As a, a You're the second person to ask me that. Shane Coleman said it on News Talk Breakfast as well. All right. Um, no. Full stop, no. <laughs> Glad he's reappointed, though. Um, in the playing panel or, or as an admin? Cal, of course, here, chairman of the Unscrown <laughs> GA Club. Uh, you no, must I'd be one of the youngest club chairmen in the country. No, 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 definitely not. But um, Yeah, definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely, yes. Definitely well, probably I mean, are. That's factually correct. Whatever about my um, will you play for Sligo? Like. Yeah, but I think it's good news that Tony McIntyre's been reappointed. He's done a really good job. Uh, so GA president must be on your radar now if you've ascended to the yeah, throne of... Course, of yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Charlotte Burns and then, then me. <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> but it, you made a good point the other day. I was chatting in the office about this. It getting the... Because you see a lot of chairmen you know, going into the job in their 50s, 60s. You want to give back to your club. Get it done when you're you're young and you've no... And then you can relax. Commitments. Yeah, and you can relax. Well, you've done it then. Do you know? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good idea. Fair play. Thanks. <laughs> Do you, is it enjoyable? Um... It is when you're winning, yeah, yeah. It's not very good when teams are not doing very well. Um, it's, it, like it's it's not a it's a team effort more than anything. And I live in Dublin, obviously, so I'm up and down the road a lot. But there's a lot of people at home doing a lot of work that I probably should be doing. Uh, so they're carrying the can a little bit. 
was down in Gwiltart last week and, and Daryl Canage is the chairman down there and selector on the, the senior team as well like he's just always he's, a, he's just always about the the pitch but you, you probably have to be dealing with people and liaising and doing so many things that you probably didn't even realise yeah um, there's a lot like the admin stuff I wouldn't enjoy but I enjoy the football side of things mm. obviously but not the admin stuff definitely not uh, and I think like volunteers in the J full stop like you know you talk about people involved at county board level and stuff like it's gone to the stage for those people that's probably a, a job essentially uh, particularly for county board chairpersons who have to you know mm-hmm. keep an eye on everything and and we just spoke there about appointing inter-county managers and stuff like it's such a huge decision because there's so many resources being pumped in and fundraisers and stuff necessary to finance county teams now that it, you know it requires a lot of work for county board chairpersons and people involved at county board level. Chairman and clubs have to sack and hire managers, don't they? For the senior team, <laughs> that's a uh, stuff. Yeah, to help yeah. Feel yeah. the power. <laughs> I, honestly, though, it's like it. It is an amazing thing to be like doing at this stage of your career while you're still playing. It doesn't happen that much. It does happen a bit around the country, except two thousand clubs. Of course, it's bound to happen. But um, will you come back and talk to us sometime about what it actually is like? Because I, I think a lot of people are keen to help out but slightly somewhat overawed by the prospect yeah um, yeah like I, I would say that um, probably like loyalty is a big thing when it comes to club football and club hurling that you kind of have a sense of loyalty to your club that if an opportunity arises to help out you'll, you'll try and do it whatever that might be um, whatever stage you're at and uh, I suppose that's the case for a lot of people um, but yeah no, it, like it's, as I say it's very much a, a team effort it's not a it's their training that show I think there are, yeah, Crow Park will do stuff. They will do stuff. And I think there are guides and stuff. Um, in fact, for other officers as well, as far as I'm aware. Like, for example, the PR, obviously, you guys would deal with PR people a lot. There are a lot of things to do with PR now in terms of how to promote your club properly on social media and guidelines around that, uh, which is very helpful um, that I, w- I would have gone through before. So I, I think Crow Park are doing a, a lot of good work there to train up officers at club level and county level, to be fair. All right, good stuff. Thanks, lads. Thanks, William. Uh, right, if you want to get in touch, uh, 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number, or you can always uh, leave a comment on YouTube. Now, we're talking to Julianne Russell about the stellar career of her former Galway teammate, Niamh Fahey. Uh, there's a little bit of buzz that maybe Niamh's international career might be over, but it might not be. So, first, here's our own Kathleen McNamee speaking to the Liverpool and Republic of Ireland star immediately after their final World Cup game against Nigeria on Monday. I'm not sure if you noticed it when you were coming off, but you got a standing ovation from the crowd, which I think is actually the only standing ovation I've seen from an Irish crowd throughout oh, this tournament. Okay. <laughs> Does that make you feel? I, to be honest, I didn't even look. I, I wish I took that in. Um, so no, I didn't. I didn't look. I just I checked five, and I I saw, I looked down my jersey, saw five, so I was like, right, I better get off quick. <laughs> Maybe we get some fresh legs. And yeah, Diane, obviously it's her first uh, step onto the pitch as well, so I want to get off as quick as possible, get her on, and, and yeah, we were trying to push for a win as well, although we didn't create clear-cut chances so I didn't see it but uh, that's 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 lovely And just for you personally like obviously at this after tournament there's going to be questions about the senior players do you want to carry on you know yeah. what do you sort of think of that person is it sort of too soon to yeah. really think about that Yeah I think too soon I, I just wanted to focus on the tournament and uh, really just put my energy and time into every game here and not be thinking about the future too much so yeah, it'll be something I'll go home and then sit down and reflect and get a bit of time to do that but uh, yeah I'm just really proud at the minute to have played in a World Cup and to battle with these girls so it's been it's been brilliant uh, yeah so that was Neil Fahey speaking with Kathleen in the immediate aftermath of the game there are some comments uh, in the longer bits in the paper where it doesn't seem like she has made her mind up yet but also we could probably do with her for the uh, next campaign 
Julianne Russell is with us now to talk to us a little bit about the career that Nephi has put down. Like, this is one of the all-time Irish great sports careers and its longevity is something to be re- remarked on, Julianne. But before we retire her, she's got plenty left to give, right? Yeah, I think so. Like, Neve's a phenomenal athlete. She looks after herself so well. Um, she's signed another one-year extension onto her contract with Liverpool. So the fact that that's happened, I think that she will be, um, I don't think she will retire from international football just quite yet. I think she still has more to give. And even you see in, in the men's game, you see Ronaldo, all these players playing way into their late 30s. So I think it's just um, the same in the women's game. I think Neve has a, a bit more to give. The fact that she's still playing really well at club level is, is the thing that must give her confidence. Because certainly at international level, sometimes uh, a country can be reliant on players because of their experience. And it doesn't always um, tally with the club form, but her club form seems to be excellent still. Yeah, like she's week in, week out, she's starting. Obviously, the last couple of months she was injured. Um, so obviously she she wasn't playing much football, but like she's the captain of Liverpool. Like what an honour. Um, and yeah, she's just solid every game. Um, like it's rare that you see her having a poor game, to be honest. Christine Sinclair is a perfect example as well, Julianne. Is just someone who, you know, at the age of 40 can can go on and, and Neve will be 40 when the next World Cup comes around. I'm not saying she's still going to be around at that point, but I mean, who knows? <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Like prime example. And you saw the impact that Christine Sinclair had when she came on at halftime versus Ireland. Like it, it's still in them. And um, yeah, and confident needs can, can still contribute to Ireland um, in the future. One of the things that really is important for this group is that they keep the experience of the World Cup for good and bad. But actually, like what it's like to be in a tournament, the pressures that brings and carry as much of that through as possible. Well, at the same time, we accept that we need to freshen up the team and get some youth, get some pace into the side as well. So it's a really tricky balancing act for whoever the manager is next. It is. And I think, like you said, I think it's vital that you do keep that experience and not even just that, like, you need good characters in the dressing room and like Neve is an amazing footballer, but she's actually like a really good human and like, she's great crack. Like, and I really think you need that in a team. So um, like I, whoever the manager is, if it is going to continue to be Vera or if it's going to be someone else, I do think it will be a, a really tough decision to, to kind of put that blend of the experience and, and the kind of fresh new young people coming into the squad as well. She, she's just one of these players that over the years, uh, Julianne has just gone from strength to strength. Like I'm sure the experience in that dressing room is is one thing, but like the fact that her, the GA background she has as well, and, and she's clearly just a talented sportswoman, generally speaking. So a role model, I'd imagine, in that dressing room. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like she has that never die attitude. Like she'll never give up. Um, it's kind of just inbred in her, and I suppose having the versatility of the different sports background. Um, she played Gaelic football and she played a bit of basketball as well when she was younger. So like she's just that all-round athlete. And then, yeah, the experience of all what she's achieved so far, she's achieved so much in her club career with Arsenal. And then obviously she had the stint at Chelsea and she just won the championship with, with Liverpool. So she has so much experience. And then she even has that All-Ireland with Galway as well. So it's it's incredible. Um. Do you expect her to continue? With the Ireland team? Yeah. I do, yeah. I, I, I think so. Um, I think after she got that taste of the World Cup, um, like, I feel like some people are like, you'd leave on a high, but then I think she has that taste and I still think she 
she has it in her and she probably believes that herself. Now, I could be totally wrong, but I think that she could um, give another year or two for sure. Incredibly well-travelled, played in France, played for all the big clubs in England, obviously knows the Irish scene really well. Is this somebody who the FAI should be trying to encourage to get involved in coaching? I know she's got a, a career as a scientist as well. So obviously very, very talented <laughs> and, and may not be interested in being full-time in football when she retires. May have felt like that's that's me done. But uh, is there a, a, a coaching slash managerial gene there? Like Neve is super intelligent and obviously she's an amazing education as well. Um, like she's constantly doing um, like further in her, her, her career on the non-football on site. Even if it's not managerial, I think she'll be in maybe like the sports science side of a team or something like that. And I feel like you can give so much like in the back room staff. It's all those people who give so much to the team that the public don't see. So if it isn't a coach and managerial aspect, I feel like she'll still stay in the kind of sports arena, particularly in the in the science side. But you never know. She, I think she'd be an amazing manager as well. Like she she knows the game inside out, and um, yeah, she's just so well educated. And she's also like mentally strong as well because you look at the. I think she was, she was injury free for maybe a decade, and then early this year she gets the uh, the injury in in February, a calf injury, like. And it was misdiagnosed as well, I think. So she expected to be out for much shorter than she than she ultimately was. So even being able to bounce back from that so close to a World Cup shows some serious mental strength. Yeah, absolutely. Like she's so resilient. I know if that was me, I'd be freaking a couple of months out from the World Cup. Um, but yeah, like she just um, like held strong, so good at like doing her rehab, just looking after herself. And like I'm just so happy that she got back in time for the World Cup and that's a credit to her and like her support system around her and just such a good role model as you as you said to other people kind of who are in that position who get these kind of injuries before um big tournaments or um, kind of big games coming up so yeah credit to her um julianne we have to ask you about the main story over the last 24 hours it's the non-substitution the asked for substitution the naming of the person who either was asked or wasn't asked um this is about as melodramatic a, a sports story that we've had in Irish sports since Johnny Sexton <laughs> looked up at the big screen and was like, oh. you know, I mean, <laughs> and that turned out to be a hill of beans. Is this something or is this nothing? I think it was blown out of proportion, to be totally honest. Um, like, as the public are, are seeing with Vera, she's blunt, she's direct, she doesn't hold back. I think she shouldn't have just named any names or she just should have kept it private and probably not answered the question directly to the media. Like for her to come out and do that, I'd say the journalists, the media in that room, like their eyes were lighting up. Um, But yeah, I I don't think it's anything, to be honest. Um, I I think it's blown out of proportion. Is it right that a player vocally, I guess, asks for a substitution during the game? I guess a captain is different, isn't it? I think a captain is different. Um, like they'll be talking the whole time within a game and like outside a game. I'm sure managers will always kind of be speaking to their captain, advice, what do they think, and um, kind of getting the general vibe from the group of girls. So that's normal that they will get and ask opinions. I think fresh legs were needed. Um, I just think it, it shouldn't have been kind of vocalised afterwards and specific players pointed out and then 
that it was even kind of just the way she, she she spoke about it saying like Katie McCabe is not the coach but like as I as I mentioned she's she's direct and that's her style but overall I don't in the grand scheme of things I, I don't think it's it's just been blown out of proportion. Uh, the mood music is all that the FAI were waiting to see exactly what was going on I presume they're reading everything in all the papers and seeing what the general con- consensus is about what should happen with Vera it's hard to make a footballing case that Vera shouldn't be allowed to continue or given another period of time but the relationship thing is really important with your players we, we know from Irish football history that if there's a divide between the best players and the management team it only goes one way and that's disaster. So what's your instinct about what's going to happen next? My gut instinct is that she won't stay on. Um, I agree from a footballing aspect, it is difficult to see why she wouldn't because she brought the team to the first major um, tournament. I do think from a footballing perspective, though, things need to evolve. Um very, very defensive the whole time. And um, I think that needs to evolve and and we need to be more attacking. And from the three games, we've seen that we actually can compete with these top nations, but we need to kind of drive it on more. I don't know if, if, if she's the right person from a footballing perspective to do that. And then from a non-footballing perspective, I think there's just been too much drama over the last kind of year and then specifically around the World Cup. And as you mentioned, there d- does look like there's been a, a massive divide between her and the players. Um, the fact that the players haven't been kind of standing up for in any of the media um, engagements kind of just says it all. Yeah, that that is the most damning of everything. Like, with regards to the drama, at international level, there's drama nonstop. Like, mm. so whoever comes next will have a tiny little honeymoon period. And if results go well, great. But if they don't, then it'll be like, ooh, you're trying to change our playing style before we're ready for it. So, yeah. you know, I, I think the, the specific handling of the athletic stuff ended up backfiring from Vera's perspective. And that seems to have been an issue. And it'll be interesting to hear what the players say if she does step down. Just on the football side of things, do we have the players to play a different style of football? Because either she gets credit for how we play in the World Cup or she doesn't. And therefore, well, then she has to go anyway because she's not responsible for it. Or or we have evolved the style of play a little bit? I think we have evolved. If you said it to me a couple of years ago, I'd be like, look, we don't have the players or like we're just not ready for it yet. But like we're defensively solid. We've been working on that for years and years. And then we do have, a, we don't have a f- like loads of players. Like they don't have the depth in the squads to to for that attacking um, side of things. But we do have a, a couple of players, and we need to utilize them better. Um, like I, I don't think Denise O'Sullivan was u- utilized whatsoever in this World Cup, and it's it, I'm really disappointed for her. Like she's a phenomenal player and a phenomenal athlete, and the fact that she was only given that license in the last game, I think. It's just shown that could have been done in, in the first and second game as well. And then obviously there's Katie um, that is, is a world-class player. But there is other players that we've seen kind of really shown. Like Kira Caruso has been like outstanding, I, I think, in this World Cup. Like she was not even kind of a, a, a squad player, then a bit of a bench player. And then now now she's kind of starting and she's doing a great job. And then lastly, I think Rusha Littlejohn, like, 
she ha- hasn't really been getting um, the same kind of credit that other players. I think she's had a phenomenal tournament as well. So there is the players there. I think it's just how you utilise them. And does Vera Power not get credit for Carusa and Little John? I, I suppose I, it feels a little bit like um, Philly was making the point outside earlier that like she is Dutch. She doesn't want to play defensive football. She wants to play like brilliant orange attacking football. Um, and so I... I I don't know. I'm I'm wondering if we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater a bit here. Yeah. I think she needs to believe more. Like, and even just try it. If we get battered 3-0, then go back and we'll start again and kind of defensive side of things. But the, the girls, I looking at them, they play with a bit of fear and they are kind of nearly afraid to make mistakes. That's just personally what, what I think. Um, I feel like they just need to kind of get the shackles off them and let them go. Um, sorry, we, we just on if if Vera Pau is to leave, Julianne, like, are there any names you feel should or will be included in the conversation to replace her? We were discussing Tom Elms yesterday, of course, League of Ireland background, and been with the under sixteen girls team as well, um, and a bit of continuity, I guess. But would he be in consideration, or would anyone else come to your mind? Yeah, I suppose like Tom's been there throughout the campaign, so like he's experienced the kind of buzz of, of the World Cup and um, he knows the players um, really well. I think like the coach education system in Ireland actually is really strong so there there probably is a lot of um, coaches out there that are both in the women's game and in the men's game that would be able to step up. Um, none really come to mind top ahead um, for me. I suppose Eileen Gleeson could be up there. She was assistant manager to, to Vera as well. Um, she's coached at a high level over in Glasgow and now she's within the FAI. But I think whatever happens, the FAI need to like really sit down and really think about who would be a good candidate. It can't be a fast decision because it's, it's a massive role and especially where the team are now. All right. Julianne, good stuff. Thanks so many for joining us. Cheers. Thanks a million. Uh, Julianne Russell giving us uh, her thoughts on the campaign and on Nifahi. Good to hear that she, fingers crossed, will be staying. It's 12 minutes past nine if you want to get in touch with us. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Up next, Ireland begin their uh, final Rugby World Cup preparations when they take on Italy on Saturday night. And make sure you don't miss any of the action in Rugby Daily today in your OTB podcast network, bringing you everything you need to know about rugby. Get your favourite local restaurants delivered to your door with Deliveroo. Just open the app, browse some great offers, take your pick. And they'll take care of the rest. Deliveroo, food, we get it. Alan Quinlan's next. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Alan Quinlan, good morning to you. How are you? I'm good, thanks, lads, and yourselves. It feels like the World Cup kind of starts this week properly. The first World Cup warm up is against Italy. There'll be um, very many nervous players hoping to at least be on the plane. And then after that, there'll be ones who are trying to put their hand up for selection. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think uh, it's it's um, it's an Ireland squad, that's kind of certainly a team or 23 that nearly picks itself. Um, it's a bit unusual that there's, look, mo- mo- I suppose most squads are close enough at this stage of, of you know, the public could pick. What type of uh, players will end up going? Is there anyone that kind of could shock um, shock us and, and get on the plane as well? There's uh, 42, I think, players at the moment in the squad of 43. 
um, something up around that in the 40s anyway and that'll be whittled down to to uh, 33 in a couple of weeks so um, it is a great opportunity for, for guys who are kind of on the fringes and, and maybe um, it's hard looking at the whole squad to think you know what players will will kind of push and get into the team um, to be fair to Andy Farrell you know what they've done the last two years has been exceptional and the squad has been very very settled um, if you just look at what happened in the Six Nations, the injuries that happened, um, particularly, you know, Finley Bealham coming in, what happened in the centres, um, you know, there was a bit of disruption there and Ireland managed to win a Six Nations. So I think preparations have gone really well for the team. Um, but these couple of weeks, I think, starting with Italy, you know, somebody kind of changes the mindset a little bit of the coaches. It's, it's an opportunity for them. It was interesting, Quinny, to hear Paul O'Connell talking during the week about the approach to training during this preseason and how they've maybe managed it a little bit differently, a lot more ball work. <laughs> I think he said there's there's some lads in this Irish camp that can maybe overdo it in training in terms of physicality. I thought he was talking about historically. Maybe, yes. I was wondering who he might have been talking about people training too hard and then being a bit flat at weekends. Uh, well, I suppose it's... it's um that's the intriguing part that for, for the listeners is, is, is the preparation here because um, it's really vital. I think it's been so well documented what happened in 2007 and probably the results in, 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 in France were, were so disappointing given the, the enthusiasm and the kind of expectation of that squad going to the World Cup. Um, we were certainly flat and there was something not right. I think we did a lot of, um, a lot of rugby sessions in in a lot of that summer and a lot of more full-on physical contact. So, you know, I read Paul's comments yesterday and listened to him talking about he would have been there uh, right in the middle of that. And, um, you know, you 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 have the enthusiasm for the players and, and, like, at the time, there was no one no one in the squad saying, we're overtraining here. You know, it was a very competitive kind of um, situation where players were trying to push each other hard and... Um, you know, maybe it was one of the reasons why we were a bit flat at the World Cup. We did a lot of heavy physical contact. The way the game has gone now with player welfare, no, no squads are going to be kind of battering each other in this, you know, in the build-up to these warm-up games. You're trying to limit the, the amount of contact you do. You have to get a sufficient amount in to be, to be match-ready. You can't just go into an international game and have no contact done. But a lot of that work would have been done maybe with pads, um, the live stuff in lineouts and scrums, um, it's just taking a little bit off that and being sensible. But um, you would hope that there's a lot of experience in that Irish squad and, you know, they've looked really sharp and fit. I think if you look at all the squads, lads, um, you know, Wales and Warren Gatlin has probably always done this. They're very much releasing a lot of their the kind of physical uh, fitness work that they're doing. Um, and, and I know, you know, it's not a secret. Getty just wants his team to be so, so fit. And, and their pre-seasons, you know, I was part of pre-seasons under Warren Gatlin with Ireland. Um, and that was a big emphasis on him, just trying to be fitter than anybody else. Um, but for Ireland, I think, yeah, they've, they, they, they've, they've all spoken about it been a lot of rugby-related stuff. That would be rugby-related fitness. Um, and obviously trying to get their weights and stuff in. Uh, in between those sessions and around those sessions. So 
Um, that's the intrigue really for, for any team is, is peaking at the right time, um, getting the, the, the requisite amount of rugby in, but also having that physical fitness and that, that intensity that Ireland want to play with to be able to, to, be able to do that from their training. So no uh, battle of Bayonne this time? Oh, the battle of Bayonne. <laughs> yeah, I think that gets talked about, isn't it? Every, every kind of World Cup warm-up uh, cycle for Ireland. Um, yeah, it was well documented, wasn't it? We played Scotland and Italy that year in 2007 in the build-up to, to France. And um, I think it was a late, a late fixture that um, Eddie was given the opportunity in the RFU to go and play. And um, it seemed like a good idea at the time. It certainly wasn't anyone's fault. But um, I think that probably the issue was uh, Wayne Barnes was refereeing the game and it was a crazy job for him to do. But... Wayne Barnes, looks local... like a, Wayne Barnes looks like a child, by the way. He looks about 12. Yeah. He, he had two local French uh, touch judges who couldn't speak any English. So I think uh, he, he's been quoted as saying every time he there was a ball passed from a rook, he had to kind of look over his shoulder because there was a scuffle happening. It was, it was crazy. It was one of the... It was a really freakish game because um, right from the start, it was... Um, it was like as if they decided they were going to absolutely kick the crap out of us and that we should accept it. Obviously, you know, when you're kind of preparing and, and getting ready to go to, to World Cup, you don't want to get sent off. You don't want to get sighted. You don't want to miss a World Cup. Um, and there was obviously the incident with Brian O'Driscoll um, in, in the second half of that game. After lots of scuffles and lots of verbals, um, and of course, I came on for about 25 minutes of that carnage in the second half, and I was I was trying to make a bit of an impact. So I, I but I I was also trying to say, don't do something stupid. Don't be the one that gets caught here or gets throws a punch out in the open. And uh, it's a regret of mine to this day because uh, the the Kiwi uh, second row for for Bayon Makira Tiwata was his name, I think. Um, there was a bit of a push and shoving match. It kind of all stopped and just kind of out of the blue, he he threw a punch and hit Drico into the nose. And uh, I was standing maybe a couple of feet away and I progressed forward to it and I had the right fist clenched. And uh, I kind of regret to this day that I just didn't, uh, just didn't let fly um, because he deserved it. And um, maybe... I, I probably would have missed the World Cup and it would have been another high-profile kind of uh, suspension or something like that for me. But it was crazy. Bayon was crazy. I do regret that I didn't throw that punch because uh, he, he would have deserved to get his head knocked off um, for what he did. It was totally totally unjust, to be fair. Drick was his hands down by his side. He's, he's captain of the team. He's trying to calm things down. He's trying to talk sense into some of us. Like, you know, Neil Best was playing as well and he was... Uh, Best, he was fairly fiery as well and uh, ready for action. Um, and it was getting to the point of, um, right, okay, we're not taking any more of this and it's just going to be an all-in um, scenario here. But I think the game got blown up a little bit early. We won 42-6. And, um, but there was a doubt about Dricker for that World Cup. So <clears throat> there'll be no battle of Bayon. I think Italy and Saturday, it's a totally different scenario. And then you know, England uh, and Samoa. But I suppose the Samoa game going back to Bayonne, it's probably not going to be on the same pitch. Um, but it kind of does bring back memories of that 2007 uh, game, which was just the weirdest game ever, to be honest. <laughs> uh, 
uh, maybe missing the World Cup would have been much better for your reputation than uh, than. But you know what? I, I genuinely think there. You know, there's there's times where I've got myself into a bit of bother, and um, but I, I there was that was a time where I thought this this guy he really 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 deserved it. Um, what he did was just you know it was a cowardly act. Thankfully, Drico was okay, and um, you know there was. Um, but right, the whole game was just crazy. They had Richard Dort playing as well, the French international, who was, you know, trying to be a hard man throughout the game. Uh, I think he's done that throughout his career. I, I played against him uh, a couple of times when he was playing with Cass for Munster, and um, you know, he was tough. He was a good player, but um, if you stood up to him, he wasn't uh, he wasn't so uh, brave all the time, you know. But. He set the tone with them really, and it was it was it was kind of crazy. It wasn't Eddie's fault; it wasn't anyone's fault. Um, and you know what? It kind of brought us together a little bit in a sense that um, you know we we uh, we we kind of incited a little bit of anger internally. But unfortunately, we didn't we didn't uh, just get the performances of that World Cup um, in, in in France. It was it was it was so disappointing. But the preparation games are important. You never know what's going to happen at a World Cup. For any team, um, and, and as I said, you know Ireland want to start well on Saturday and, and hope that they don't have injuries. Historically, we've seen David Wallace, you know Jordan Murphy, Felix Jones, Tommy O'Donnell. Um, there's a number of players, unfortunately, will you know have picked up serious injuries. So hopefully, we have none of them on Saturday. Andy Farrell is a clean bill of health, and I suppose it's just managing that expectation now. But it's exciting for the players. They're in a great place and they've shown a lot of resolve and, and steel to be able to deal with, you know, being favourites um, and, and, you know, everybody looking at them and, and scrutinising them. So hopefully they can start well on Saturday. It, would you expect surprises, Quinny? Like, I guess the England game would be the game where we'd see close to a full-strength 15, you'd imagine. But, but for Italy... Would you expect to see maybe a, a nice mixture of, of experience and also players that are close? Probably. Yeah, probably. Um, I don't know what, what Andy's thinking. Um, when, when you've got, you know, a start of, of Romania, it gives you a little bit of an opportunity to, to maybe kind of hold a few players back for a couple of weeks. I think everybody will get game time, I think. Uh, but if you start with your your full strength team and, and and try and play him for a couple of weeks if that's not going to happen I think you know everybody is probably going to get an opportunity here at some 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 level um, I think there's going to be a bit of a mixture scenario here because it's not going to be the strongest team for England and the you know a, a, an A team essentially for Italy I think it's probably going to be mixed up and, and that will give people who are on the fringes a fair a fair crack of the whip Um Italy have a game under their belts. Obviously, they were in Murrayfield last Saturday and they, they're pretty physical, um, aggressive. There's a lot of players for both sides last Saturday who, who weren't starters in the Six Nations. So I think both Scotland and, and Italy started off with the so-called fringe players, guys who were trying to you know, get into a World Cup squad and get on their respective teams. So um, I would probably expect um, this to be a build-up over a couple of weeks. Um. I, yeah, I don't think we're going to see the full team out in one game because what if they got beaten in a warm-up? Be like, no, no, no. We'll see the full team once and that'll be uh, for the first big game and then after that we won't see anything but the, the first team, I think. Um, we, we nearly got beaten in, 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 uh, in Raven Hill in 2007 by Italy. Um, 
that was a game where it was the last game before we went, I think, to to uh, to France. And uh, Rog scored a try in in that game. To I think we won twenty three nineteen or something like that. Um, and it wasn't a try. He knocked it on, touching touching it down. Um, I hope we don't see anything like that. Look, I think it's you never know with these games because um, you're 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 kind of coming out of the blocks and. Obviously, players wouldn't have played games in a while. You, you, in an ideal world, you'd want to start progressing over the next couple of weeks um, to to a point where there isn't wholesale changes, and you're building up towards the towards the World Cup. Just look at Australia, the where their results have been um, in the last few weeks in the Rugby Championship, and then Eddie Jones made lots of changes. So, what is his best team? Who does he go back to now? Um, you want to kind of have your progression building nicely over a period of time. And uh, as I said, hopefully we don't have any any injuries from, from players because I think that's going to be a key part of, of the preparation for France is trying to keep the Ireland players kind of fit and healthy. Y- you never know. There's always going to be an injury or two here or there. Uh, but hopefully that's, um, you know, that's at a minimum. We leave it there for now, Alan. World Cup starts this weekend, essentially. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Thanks. Alan Quillen, give us his thoughts there. Um, I think the team is going to play these and then head off to Portugal and then back over to France. Mm. The Portugal thing is like a short, sharp... Bit of warm weather. Good weather. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they have the indoor dome in um, the national stadium or national campus. Mm. Uh, but, like, you know, they'll have good good ball handling skills. Oh, yeah. And the fitness of lashes rain in France. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. The weather will be unpredictable, but... Um, at least the fitness levels will be strong. I'm going to the England game, so I'm hoping for. You, you're always that, hoping that's for. Diviva. That's a Diviva. So that's the second of the three. The weekend after this, you just want to see the strong fifteen, don't you? But I guess the same for everyone heading to the the warm up games. What if you play your strong fifteen and England beat you? <laughs> yeah, maybe you you probably leave three or four or five players in reserve. You don't like yeah. generally strong your strongest team. Yeah, maybe you 10, want nine, ten players. I'd like to see Stockdale if his form is close to what it used to be mm. being given a chance playing outside the regular 13 yeah, yeah. maybe give Crowley a chance at 10 I think well Sexton won't be there anyway so you could play your best 14 against England and still say ah well Johnny wasn't playing I think there's a very good chance that um, Crowley is I th- I think there's a very good chance I mean we we had this conversation with Andy Dunn when we did our depth charts that like if Sexton's not playing mm. but um and you need you need him to strike up that bond, that relationship with Gibson Park as well. I'd like to see a bit of that before the World Cup. OTB AM, the Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball.